The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. All right, this is Juice Robinson, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. You better keep listening. We're at WrestleCon having a blast. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. Let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping it strong style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be covering all latest news, answering your questions, and doing week five of the final countdown. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network and keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. And this week's episode is brought to you by NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, Synchronized viewing parties and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, happy early birthday. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess it's my birthday coming up. Yeah, we're just uh, a few days away here from your 32nd birthday. Yo, why are you telling everybody my shoe age? What the heck? <laughs> this is like wrestling. You're supposed to. My build age is 27. All right, so we're celebrating your uh, your 27th actually, birthday. My bad. Actually, I, I I don't care. Honestly, I'm more concerned about just my personal information getting hacked. You know, I don't want that. I don't want that information out there for the general public to know. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Some weirdos out there, young boy aficionado showing up at my job. Uh, I just want to deal with all that. So, <laughs> well, you know, last week we were kind of serious, kind of joking about um, you know donations, and you made the call out about getting a lucky box for your birthday. Well, one of our listeners donated $10 to the cause, and I I threw down the rest of the money. So, young boy, you have a lucky box on the way here to the dojo that we will, you will open, I guess I'll open up because you're still still social distancing. I'll open up and let you know what's in your lucky box next week when it arrives. I mean, you said I said it jokingly. There's no joke about that. This is exactly what I expected. I'm very happy it's happening now. 
<laughs> if, if if I didn't have a freaking lucky box showing up at our door on my birthday, oh, I was gonna raise hell. It was gonna be bad. <laughs> well, not too fair. Lucky box is on the way. Who who was the listener? Was it Rich Latta? It, it was not Rich Latta. <laughs> no, that's that's cool. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, whoever that listener was, and uh, Jeremy. Uh, no, nah, but that's that's pretty cool. You know, you know what the lucky box is, though. I saw it online. Right, it's pretty much essentially a grab bag, random sizes, random designs. You get four shirts basically. So for the price of one shirt, you get four random shirts, and you don't know what you're getting essentially. Right. So. So yeah, so it'd be interesting to see what comes in the lucky box. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, Here's hoping it's an LA Dojo shirt. <laughs> you know, I did uh because my birthday was coming up, I was kind of looking at the Tokon shop and I was you know, I'm a little surprised there's mostly only the domestic uh shirts from like the various tours and shows that they've done over the past, you know, several years. Uh not so much like the stuff that you see in the actual like NJPW shop overseas. Right. I'm wondering if there's an issue, maybe, I don't know, with shipping or just, uh, I don't know, fulfillment of that stuff and getting it in the U.S. sizes. I don't know. Maybe even just the stock. Yeah. I don't know. But um, hopefully they do well. Hopefully our uh, donation, um, you know, for this uh, grab bag helps out the website. (laughs) (laughs) They can can expand what they're doing. But, uh, no, thank you. That's pretty cool. I can't wait uh, to try out my – Thank you to or thank you, uh, Tiger Hattori uh, referee T-shirt. <laughs> and uh, before we jump into the news, I thought it'd be a great idea to uh, let the listeners know what we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks. So, have you been following along? You know, we've been doing the final countdown, reviewing every best of the Super Junior Finals from the very beginning up until 2019, and obviously, you know, we are. Almost near the end, and last week or next week will be the final final countdown as we cover uh, the last few there's uh, 2015 to 2019. So obviously we have to do something else. And the young boy had a great concept. So young boy, why don't you go ahead and explain what we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks here? Yeah. So I mean, the the deal here basically is this: we weren't sure if New Japan is going to be coming back, you know, in a few weeks, in a month, or you know. Maybe not till 2021. We're not really sure. And as much as we've loved doing the Final Countdown project, you know, we were uh, thinking about if we took on another long, lengthy project similar to this, you know, we wouldn't want to leave it unfinished if, say, a month from now, New Japan comes back, you know. So we're like, what can we do that's going to get fan interaction, um, fan interest up, and also be short term? So we came up with the concept, and it's basically this. Every week, we're going to have a special guest host on the show. We are going to uh, debut a series of topics, maybe three or four, that are all similar or on brand. There will be some sort of um, overarching uh, theme that that kind of connects them. And then we will put it to fan vote uh, the day after we will announce it on the show, that Tuesday, and then we'll put it to vote. You guys will vote which one of the topics you would like us to cover. And then whichever one wins, 
we'll be covering that with our guest host, and that will be a series of uh, match reviews as well as uh, – you know, um, discussion regarding the topic, basically just kind of like a deep dive into whatever that subject is. And the subject may be wrestlers, it may be events, it may be, you know, concepts, gimmicks, um, themes, you know, there's, there's any number of different ideas that we have going right now. Yes. So, uh, every Wednesday after the show drops, actually, I think we're going to do it Wednesday or Tuesday. I forget now. Um, However you want to do it, whichever is the best. Yeah, so we'll figure it out. I, I think I think we should do it the same day we drop the show, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, on Tuesday, so the show will drop, and then on our Twitter account, at KI Strong Style, we will put the poll up, and that's how you guys will vote and let us know which topic you want us to talk about. Like a young boy mentioned, winning topic on the Twitter poll will be what we cover the following week. So to give you guys just an early example of what we mean by this, so here's an easy one, the three musketeers. So that would be the overarching theme for that week. The three topics that you'd be voting on would be Chono, Muto, and Hashimoto. We put that up. You guys vote for which one of the three musketeers you'd like us to cover and, uh, you know, kind of review. And um, whichever one wins, us and our guest host will all be uh, discussing matches that we've selected based on your guys' uh, choices. We'll be discussing, you know, that topic in depth. It'll be a deep dive. It'll be very informational, instructional. And the great thing here is you guys get to tell us what you want us to talk about, and we will talk about the things that you want us to talk about. So it's extremely symbiotic, and uh, hopefully that should be you know, beneficial for both parties, both you, the listener, as well as us, the content provider. Yes, and, you know, for guests, we will bring back some of your favorites. So we're also uh, putting together some new guests who we've been wanting to have on for a while, and um, so I think some new guests that you guys will like. So it's going to be a fun time. Yeah. Yeah, perfect excuse. I can't wait to have uh, Lanny Poffo on, and we can... <laughs> Do a deep dive into uh, all the matches that he covered uh, that one tour that one time. Yeah, about that. <laughs> we're we're gonna do uh, the theme one week is gonna be um, <laughs> the theme is gonna be obscure com- English commentators. It's gonna be Caprice Coleman, <laughs> Lanny Poffo, and uh, Chucky T. Nah, oh Chucky T would be a good one. No. Um, why don't we do uh, Mavs Gillis? It could be Mavs. No, what's the dude who's over in all Japan right now? What dude in all Japan? Oh, Yoshi Yoshitatsu. Oh yeah, and then the third one will be Yoshitatsu, and we'll we'll you know review match. And then the great thing is, whichever one wins will actually be coming on the show to review the matches that they called themselves. So it's gonna be perfect. So I can't wait to have Yoshi on here. Hmm. Yeah, about that. <laughs> well, yeah, so that's our new concept. Looking forward to that coming out in a couple of weeks. So let's jump into the news and a bunch of questions in the mailbag, and then we'll get to the final countdown segment for this week. So obviously, top news story here for the week. Best of the Super Junior 27 Tour has been canceled. Wrestle Dynasty has been postponed to 2021. Yeah, um, this is sad times. 
Yeah, and also to, to follow up on that too, the uh, the New Japan website also no longer lists Dominion, which is obviously the company's second biggest show of the year, which is scheduled for June 14th, Osaka Joe Hall. So the company hasn't made an official announcement about that, but it's currently not on the site, and that could be maybe they're, once again, just trying to wait and see how things go, or it's probably going to end up being canceled. Um, I mean, yeah, um, I've got hope. You know, I don't know what the socio-economical, you know, and political landscape is over there right now in Japan. So I can't say with any certainty how they're handling this or, you know, what what the cultural perception is or, you know, political. Uh, with that being said, I think we kind of – I just – I mean, I brought it up last week. I don't know if you remember on the show. I was like, yo, I don't think that they're going to let us do mass gatherings in New York to like 2021. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I was like, I think this thing's getting canceled. And, uh, funny enough, um, all things elite host Floyd Johnson, shout out to Floyd. He, uh, was offering to buy my ticket to go to wrestle dynasty, which I was like, yeah, it's pretty straight. And, uh, I was like, but yo, I don't, I don't think this is happening. And he's like, it's happening. We're going and I was like, all right, we'll see. And then, like, a couple days later, he was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was also planning on buying my ticket as well as a, a birthday gift because my birthday is in August in the same week as Wrestle Dynasty. And I was like, uh, again, I was like, same thing as you. I was like, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds great. But, again, I was like, I don't know if this is happening. Um, yeah, and then, like, like, I was like, all right, if it happens – I'll go, but like deep down, I was a little scared. <laughs> uh, I was like, I don't know if I really want to go, but like, you know, I don't want to let Floyd down. So like for Floyd, I'll risk it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah. The one thing I am, um, I guess the, the, the silver, I mean, the kind of good news here uh, for Russell Dynasty, it's being postponed for 2021. So, I guess they work things out with the garden and they're still going to be able to have the show at some point in 2021. A date has not been announced or confirmed yet for that. So at least we know they will be coming back. That means by that point, maybe they can get the belt off Naito and headline with like, you know, Will Ospreay or some shit. <laughs> Ospreay and Okada. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, the one thought and, you know, First off, let's just say this. It's it, it's very disappointing, um, you know, to kind of realize that, like, we're not going to be getting New Japan back to, like, what, June? July at the soonest, if at all. Yeah. So that's very, very disconcerting. Uh, no best of Super Juniors, no Wrestle Dynasty, maybe no Dominion. That sucks. But my thoughts immediately creep to, what about the G1? Yes, and, you know, thank the Lord that G1 was already pushed back this year uh, because of the Olympics going to be in fall. So hopefully this fall start is the perfect thing and G1 Climax can go on um, with no issues. Yeah, man. I mean, I was hoping that they would, like, move it back up to when it was supposed to be. But now with the outbreak and everything that happened, I'm like, oh, Leave, leave that shit back there. But yeah, I'm, I'm worried, bro. I'm worried that we're going to lose the G1. Like um, today, actually, I was with my girlfriend and I showed her uh, Will Ospreay and Ricochet for the first time ever. Mm. Um, 
and it's kind of funny because like I've shown her some really really like amazing matches, and not to say that match isn't amazing, but she had the audacity and the gall to say, "This is the best match you have ever shown me." <laughs> And I was oh like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then um, she has she, like, a, uh, she's a spot monkey. She has an addiction. Yeah. yeah, she likes she likes high spots and you know uh, bad bad gimmick matches like the fiend. But uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so we're we're watching this and then it ends and then she's like, okay, so Will Ospreay is uh, the new champion now, right? I was like, nah, that was that was a tournament match. That was one one match on one night in the middle of like a twenty night tournament. <laughs> <laughs> it's like over a hundred matches. She's like, What? <laughs> and I was like and it just made me like realize like God, I miss the super juniors. God, I miss like G one, like we I don't want like please do we still maybe they can like postpone or push it back like please find a way get these super juniors done find a way like I I don't want to live in a world where there's no G1 yeah and um the current IWGP junior champion Hiromu Takahashi he's been learning English during the quarantine and he posted on his Twitter and his YouTube um you know asking for best of super juniors not to be canceled but to be postponed um, and for it to happen later on in the year, and I know we've had several listeners ask us about that possibility, and I think that would be great to have Best of Super Juniors later on in the year. You know, G1, then Best of Super Juniors, that's, that's one way, one great way to kind of end the year with, um, you know, on a good note. Yeah, I just, um, I look forward to it every year, and if it doesn't happen, I'll be very uh, disappointed. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and... Like everybody, I am disappointed, but on a, one positive side, um, the quarantine and lack of live New Japan has been a great opportunity uh, for me. I know several others to really dive into the archives of NJPW World and New Japan and you know get some history on some of these guys, see some matches you've never seen before. Um, so yeah, it's been a great opportunity. I really enjoyed our final countdown project we've been doing and watching all those tournament finals. So I hope you guys are taking the time, dive into the archives, and you know follow along with us and just other shows who are looking at archive stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. And uh, also, um, I did a quick question for you. So, you know, New Japan is one of the few companies that are just not running during this time. Obviously, we've seen a lot of other companies that you know are doing empty arena wrestling and that sort of thing. You know, we've kind of shared our thoughts in the past, but now that we've gotten, you know, some more distance from from everything and, you know, it was kind of seen how this has played out. What are your thoughts on the current state of New Japan? Do you think that they can continue to persist doing what they're doing? Or do you think that we're getting to a point where they need to start considering um, running empty arena shows if for no, no other reason the viability of the company? Yeah, obviously, I know. Financially, I'm also they're not bringing in a lot of money right now with all these shows being canceled. I know the merch lines, the merch is probably their uh, biggest, you know, income right now. So yeah, I mean, I think if if it gets to G1 climax time and the outbreak in Japan is not getting any better and they're still in lockdown, I think for for G1, I think they should consider potentially doing uh, empty arena shows for that just to keep up the tradition and just to, ha- to have the G1. 
Um, but throughout the summer, um, if they have to keep canceling things, I think they should kind of keep on that course. I think I think until like the fall time, I think it's one that I think they should make a decision to go empty arena. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a, a clear answer on this because I don't know what the best thing is. You know, in a perfect world, it's great um, that they've been able to not run. Um, not every company has had, had the ability to do that. And so, you know, that's one of the, the stand-up things that New Japan has kind of shown um, over the, these past few weeks and months. Not only that, but like the reports that they're paying, you know, the wrestlers as well in the meantime and, you know, just kind of the support that they have for them, which is really great. But, um, you know, my concern is starting to get to the point of like, I don't know their financials, but they're a live touring company. You know, that's the majority of their revenue. And so as big as they are and as deep as their pockets might be, it does get to a point where it's like, how much money are they losing not running right now? And when when will come that tipping point? Because I don't want them to get to a point where they can't, you know, where they're not financially viable because of what's going on. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of wait and see. But, yeah, I hope it's not something that's too detrimental long term for them. Yeah, and that kind of plays into our next news topic. So Tama Tonga talked with Sports Illustrated about the differences regarding New Japan's handling of the pandemic and WWE. He said there's a different sense of unity in Japan. Here in America, the show must go on. Money needs to come in, and so the wrestlers are still wrestling. New Japan stopped holding shows. That's, that's not just for the safety of the fans, but it's also for the health of the wrestlers. It's a different culture in Japan, a lot different from the show must go on mindset. The majority of our income comes from live shows, which has been cut out, but the company has held onto the staff and reassured us that no one will be let go. The company is more of a family in Japan. New Japan does, it, does its best to look out for the entire wrestling scene in Japan. Even Tanahashi going in front of government, that may surprise people in wrestling, but it doesn't surprise us. He really is our leader. You can see that unity in our roster, too. Our guys go from young to old. That isn't a factory of young guys that get chopped up and spit out. The mindset around wrestling is different in Japan. Yeah, and that was in Sports Illustrated with Tama? Yes. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't really, he said it perfectly. I don't really have anything more to add to that. Uh, I think that, you know, you the old adage, you know, actions speak louder than words. Um, he said it great, but the actions of the company have shown to be nothing if not, you know, spectacular. Uh, I'm almost wondering, like, at this point, like, if New Japan's going to win promotion of the year come award season just based off the fact of how they have handled the situation, you know. Um, yeah, hats off to them. Yeah. And so in more kind of coronavirus-related news, Kazuchika Okada contributes to the coronavirus relief. Okada made a personal donation of 5 million yen to the Japanese relief efforts. And this was Okada's statement. He says, I'm always grateful for NJPW fan support, and it's my hope that I can get back to hearing the cheers of sold-out crowds as soon as possible. It's usually me receiving the support and power of the people, but now I feel it's my turn to lend support to medical staff fighting this disease. I hope fans continue to stay home and stay healthy so that we can return to the ring as soon as possible. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, another big difference between, you know, Japan and America, you know, in Japan, Okada's, you know, donating roughly like 46000 and change of his personal money to help, you know, frontline workers and stuff like that. In WWE, they're putting the names of workers on a jersey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, no, I'm just playing. No, but uh, in all seriousness, you know, uh, that's awesome to hear stories like that. I do remember um, Rusev also had, like, helped out a lot of the staff. And uh, he donated something like, what, like 20, 20K, 30K, something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. And then, speaking of Kazuchika Okada, they continued with the fans bring the question match column series. Talks a lot about his time in Mexico during this um, week's version of the column here. And then this past week, he was also asked about the, you know, the tag team division. He had some comments on that. He teased, um, you know, with Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi as a tag team, as a champion, that that's been elevating the division and that he would be interested in teaming with Yoshihashi to go after the titles. And he kind of made the point that him and Yoshihashi have been, you know, a team longer, longer than him and say, you know, Will Ospreay. And we did have a question from Dan Coffin, and he wants to know, who should Okada pair with to chase the IWGP heavyweight tag team titles? Well, if he wants to win, he needs to put Will in. Yeah. I mean, and, and Dave mentioned this in the Observer, but Tanahashi and Ibushi versus Okada and Osprey, that would be an epic match. That would be a great program. That's a match you can main event a big show with. And that, you can you can you can pack out like Sumo Hall with that sort of match. Yeah, that puts the IWGP Tag Team Titles uh, elevates the stock high. It's, it becomes a main event draw. You can main event several tours with these tag team titles. If you have teams, these mega teams like Tanahashi and Ibushi, Okada and Osprey, a, a Jay White and Kenta, you know these these top guys in the factions going after the belts would do you know for. For years, New Japan fans, and on the last three years of us doing this podcast, we've talked about the tag team division and just the lack of emphasis there is until it comes November, December time for World Tag League, and all of a sudden we get these random 20 teams out of nowhere. And so I think it's great that, you know, Tana and Ibushi won the titles, and that, that leaves the door open for potential big programs. Yeah, um, he kind of buried Naito a little bit in the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> In his comments, too, just talking about how he's more interested at this point in going after the tag titles because of who holds them versus the IWGP title, which uh, I think was a little bit of a, a slight. Um, but, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a, a lot of guys in chaos that Okada's tagged with over the years. We've seen him challenge for the titles with Goto. We've seen him challenge or uh, tag with Yoshihashi, you know, um, Will Ospreay. So, I mean you know, even Rocky Romero. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys he could team up with and challenge with, uh, if they ever go that route, I would love it. Um, you know, if that were to be the case. Yeah. Then last thing here, the free match of the week is three skate Gucci versus Gato from best of the super junior 2015. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the significance of that match. Why that is, uh, <laughs> even the free match of the week this week. I'm not sure. Yeah, I had no idea. It's the special Super Junior time. They just wanted to throw out one. I don't know. <laughs> but all right, now it's time to uh, jump into the mailbag. And my apologies to at Yusha Rogi. Uh, he did ask this question that I'm about to say last week, but I totally missed it uh, when I was gathering all the questions for the rundown. So I apologize. Bro, for... I was like, I was sitting there thinking, like, where's the bizarre conundrum question that I'm going to be like. <laughs> thinking about for you know the next coming week just like did i pick the right 
did I answer right? Did I make the right choice? Which, which, you know, one or the other would I rather have lived with? I don't know. And so I'm assuming that he hasn't disappointed us and given us another one of these freaking off the wall questions. So his question, he says, every food from now on is either really spicy or really sour. Hmm. So what do you pick? And he says, yes, I do listen to the whole podcast. So, you know, we were kind of joking around, you know, whether he's just one of these guys that just asks these random questions and doesn't even listen to the question or just kind of just to, you know, to get a rib or pop us or whatever. But, hey, he's a, he's a keeping a strong style fan. He listens to the whole podcast and um, he's just, you know, adding some entertainment value here. To the show. I, I appreciate the fact that you listen to the whole show, uh, Ushirogi, but it doesn't matter whether you listen to the whole show or just a few seconds, because either way, we get the download. <laughs> we got your download, kid. <laughs> we got your download, kid. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Actually, you know, at this time, just with how everything is with New Japan and, and the current situation, um, hats off to, you know, all the other, you know, New Japan content creators that are out there. Uh, I think New Japan World is doing a fantastic job. Kevin Kelly and, the, and that team just, you know, continuously putting out content. And then, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, our numbers are down. Uh, not not to where I'd be like, let's jump off the ship. You know, we're we going down. But, you know, I think that um, with there not being any live shows for some, some fans, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people are checking out. So the fact that you're listening right now and you're still here and you still find value in entertainment, what we do, that means a lot. So we appreciate your support. All right. So spicy or sour? Um, that sounds like the name of some sort of like late 90s WCW tag team. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a team uh, that uh, Curry Man could be a part of. Yeah. Uh, you know, he said really spicy or really sour, and that's tough because – Oh man, see here's the thing. Do you get used to the sensation? Because for instance, most people can build a tolerance to certain things like heat, you know, or whatever. Are you like a day one noob who like doesn't like hot food and it just it, it's really spicy and it always stays like unbearably hot and you never get used to it? And vice versa. Does it work the same way with the sour? Or do you build a tolerance to where it's livable? You know, that's my real question. Also, what constitutes food? Are we talking just things you eat or things you drink? You know? He's, uh, uh, yeah. Well, he says every food. So at least from a physical. Every food. Yeah. So maybe. What constitutes food? So maybe liquids are. Maybe that's off the table there. <sighs> There's not see Ushirogi, you, you got to be a little more detailed with these questions, man, because I'm I'm gonna go down these rabbit holes. Uh, with that being said, I guess I'll just go sour because even though I like spicy food, I don't love like if it's really really hot and it's painful. I don't know. I'm wondering if the sour is so sour and tart that it's painful as well. So, like, is you know, is this a pick your poison? You know, spin the wheel, make a deal sort of thing. Like, I don't know, but uh, I guess I'd rather go sour than spicy, but. This is kind of a shitty question because either way, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to go with really spicy. Uh, I do like spicy food. And, you know, I don't know the, the level of spiciness that Ushirogi here is um, delivering to us. So I'm going to go with the spicy and I'm going to assume that, you know, beverages will be normal, normal. So I'll eat my spicy food, grab a glass of milk and just move on with the day. 
Yeah, how many Scovilles are we talking here? What, what What's the Scoville unit of the spicy food? I need to know that, Ushirogi. <laughs> That's what I need to know. <laughs> uh, oh, also, before we continue with the questions, I need to... Uh, I need to put a retraction out there. So my girlfriend, who I didn't think would listen to the podcast, apparently she does. <laughs> she told me that I need to apologize to one uh, Murray Bone, also known as Muzza, because she said that I was too mean to him on the show. I tried to explain to her that I actually know Muzza, in real life and that he is a member of the social suplex podcast networking team. Uh, and that he would not be offended by my humor, but she told me, no, you were mean (laughs) and you need to apologize for telling, making him sound like an idiot for saying that Kenamaru once held the IWGP champion junior championship, which is also preposterous still to this day. So I apologize, Maza, for uh, being mean. She also said I need to cut back on uh, my cursing on the show. Uh, so I can't say things like, you know, cock, dick, balls, fart, shit, ass, fuck, none of that stuff. So need to cut back on that. So mm-hmm. I'm going to try. Why, why, are you, why are you saying <laughs> it like that? Yeah. I see, you know. <laughs> Uh, Listen, this is this is raw and uncut. <laughs> this, like this is not it's not a show for the little kids. <laughs> uncooked was what was the old raw tagline? Yeah, I was trying to remember raw, uncooked, and uncensored. uncensored. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! So next question comes from our man. Imp. Oh, also we fucked up on what we we were wrong. Here's the funny part: so we made fun of um, Uzza. But we were wrong. We said that the only person who ever held all three junior titles was uh, Marafuji. That's wrong. <laughs> oh, there, there are more? There's one other person. Uh, it was freaking – after I listened to the show, I realized it. And I was like, oh, uh, Minoru Tanaka, otherwise known as Heat, has been mm. junior champion in all three, champion, in all three uh, major Japanese companies. So we're dumb too. <laughs> Joke, jokes on us. Yeah. So uh, next question here from our man Implications over at LOP says I was told Ricochet versus Kushida in the subsequent Ricochet versus Ibushi title match would go down as the best consecutive junior matches of the decade when I started watching in 2014. What other pairings are up there? And, uh, uh, that's, that's an interesting question. So he's talking about um, you know one junior title match. Running right after another, I guess. Yeah, so the finals of the tournament leading into the title match. And uh, for me, I just put down the, the two recent ones that obviously that I've seen both all the tournaments and the final matches in a title match um, Taiji Ishimori versus Hiromu Takahashi, leading to Hiromu versus Osprey. And then obviously last year with um, Shingo and Osprey, then leading to Osprey and Dragon Lee. Um. Yeah, I think Kushida also went after he wrestled Kyle O'Reilly and then went on to uh, challenge for the title. Ah, uh, see, this is this is one of those questions I wish I would have been prepared for because he's asking us to run consecutive matches back to back, and I'm trying to remember, you know, what who was in those matches. It's kind of tough for me to remember at this point. Um, the the two most recent ones are fantastic, though. I mean, you're absolutely right there, Jeremy. 
Yeah. So. And I think, and I think they, and I think they both blow away the the Ricochet Kushida and Ricochet Bushi pairings. Yeah, and we'll be talking about the Ricochet Kushida match when we get to the final countdown. Now, my question though, he didn't specifically mention best of the Super Juniors. He just said junior match, you know, best consecutive junior matches of the decade. And once you kind of open it up that way, you know, you think about like say. Will Ospreay's junior title run in 2018, you know, and he was rattling like junior title banger after one after another for like the whole year. So, yeah. Yeah. Next question comes from Kenny Omega fan 18. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was Kenny. <laughs> Kenny, I knew you were out there listening. <laughs> Kenny, I knew you'd come. Uh, <laughs> He says, who do you think will take the never open weight championship from Shingo? I I don't have an exact answer, but without having an exact like a logical booking scenario or something, I'm just gonna say on gut instinct, someone who I think could take the title off him be totally legit and make sense. How about um, I had the name. It's not that I'm searching for the person. I'm just trying to remember the name because I forget names all the time. Um, Minoru Suzuki. Mm. That finally get that Shingo Suzuki someone, match. I think that's someone who uh, could produce a really great match with him, beat him, not hurt his aura, but also elevate him. And, you know, Minoru Suzuki would kind of go down in stature also, you know, it all kind of evens out if he's the one who does it, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, Suzuki's definitely a great candidate. Um, you know what? This is, might be a little bit out left field. I'm going to say I've sh- got a second person. I'm going to say show. Okay. Yeah, I would love that. I think show. I think show could definitely be a person. You know, you think about them uh, teasing, you know, the, the feud between them and everything like that, that would make sense. Who was your second person? You, you didn't have any other thoughts about, about Sho and, and Shingo? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to trample all over your, uh, you know, your, your choice. No, I mean, you pretty I much, you had more thoughts about No, pretty much the same as you were saying, like, I think, you know, based off the long going rivalry that they've had, uh, I think that would be, um, you know, a great kind of follow-up, and, you know, Shingo kind of underestimate show, and that would be a great upset for show to uh, pull out the win and get the never-open-weight title, and then you have that title really being an open-weight title and having juniors and heavyweight kind of challenging each other and going back and forth. Yeah, and uh, for some weird reason, I don't know why, but I know he's already held it previously, but I think Kenta could also be the guy. He could, especially Potentially. want to get some more heat on him. He want to heat Bullet Club back up. Well, what better way than to you know have a upset cheating win over Shingo? At this point, we'll be lucky if we ever even get another open weight title <laughs> match ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next question from Rambone Slam Pig. He says, "Is it still real to you, damn it? And what is your favorite Steiner Brothers match in New Japan?" I mean, my favorite Steiner Brothers match is probably the same one that you have. Which one? The Hase Sasuke match. Yeah, I think that might be one of the only ones I have seen, which you've shown me. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's their best match in New Japan. Like, it is. It's a great match. I mean, it's an all-timer. They actually had a two-match series, uh, but the, the more famous one, and I don't know the exact date. They, they took they happened like a few weeks apart from each other, but they're both really, really good. Um, that's the best one. And that's my favorite by far. Um, I also really like the Steiner brothers against, um, Vader and Bam Bam Bigelow mm. is really good. Uh, sting and Muda against the Steiner brothers is really good. Um, yeah, there's, there's quite a few actually. Nice. Yeah. And I think they've, they've, they've uploaded some, I think with English commentary, some new ones, I think, on NJPW World. Yeah, I, I think Steiner Brothers are easily in, like, the top five, maybe ten greatest tag teams in New Japan history easily. Nice. And so what about his first question? Is it still real to you? I mean, it's a work. <laughs> <laughs> The fuck? Nah, nah, it's a shoot. <laughs> so, uh, moving on to the next question from Reddit user Just a Little Bear zero one it says, thinking on the sheer amount of Dark Age discussions in the last weeks of the final countdown, you got me wondering who Anokiism in the long run hurt the most. I gotta give an honorable mention to Yuji Nagata as an obvious one. Throw him to the Wolves MMA fights and then be confused why his first IWGP run didn't get over super well. And who succeeded the never that never would have if, if Nokiaism wasn't a thing? Um, he also says, sorry to be so long-winded. Hope you guys stay healthy and safe. So thank you for that, just a little bear, zero one. Um, well, I mean, Nagata's easily one of the top ones that it damaged. Um, Gotta go with uh, Tenzan as another, you know, uh, I mean, I don't think anyone was uh, as hurt by it as Nagata, most likely, just because he literally got put in legit shoot fights with, you know, (laughs) um, I'm trying to remember who they had him fight. I think they had him. I know they had him fight Crow Cop, and I'm trying to wonder if Fedor was the other guy he fought, but... uh, it's been a little while, but yeah, I mean, he got demolished and, you know, shoot, shoot MMA fights when he's like the most talented, you know, ace of the company and stuff like that. So it kind of sucks just what they did to him. And, you know, um, Tenzan's another guy, uh, you know, a lot of the guys, uh, Hashimoto for sure is one of them. Um, even though it's kind of in the early stages, Hashimoto's, yeah, I think you could actually make an argument for Hashimoto over, over Nagata if you really wanted to, mm. um, those are like the big star names that really, you know, I mean, some the other guys who were around in that era who could have been damaged by it were smart enough to leave. You know, uh, I mean, you could make an argument for Sasuke or Sasuke, uh, but he, you know, he left. Uh, Muda left. Um, freaking um, Kojima left. You know, there's a lot of people that were smart enough to get out of there. Chono, I guess you can make somewhat of an argument, but he was so much, he was still so much of a star even when that was all happening. So I don't know. So, what about the second part? Like who succeeded, who wouldn't have, um, for, for Nokiaism? Well, I, I don't want to say he wouldn't have succeeded, but he never would have succeeded to the level he did. Uh, Fujita, for sure. Like, Fujita was presented as like 
and a top star ace level type of guy. And he, he wasn't a bad worker. And I mean, he was good, but he never would have been at, portrayed at the level that he was based off that. Uh, I, I still love Fujita. Um, Yasuda never would have gotten a title run. Uh, Nuruse never would have got the junior title. Those two guys never <laughs> would have. Um, Bob Sapp's an interesting one because there's a difference between MMA and Inokiism. And I think with his run in K1 and MMA, he was such, so much of a star. It didn't matter whether Inokiism was happening or not. Like he would have gotten over either way, but you could make that argument. So those are the ones that, you know, jump off the top of my head, I guess. Nice. Next question from Reddit user PSAN91. With the cancellation of the New Japan Cup and most recently Best of the Super Junior, what do you think will happen to the wrestlers who would have been the winners of those tournaments? Will they still get their push in the future? Or do you think Gato will go with someone else once New Japan comes back? Brother, we have no idea. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no way to know what's going to happen because we don't know when we're coming back. Uh, I would venture to guess in many cases, things are just going to change. Like, you know, the, the widely perceived thought was, you know, last year's best of super juniors. And we can't prove this, but it was widely thought that, uh, Desperado was going to get a bid to the finals against Will Ospreay. And then he got injured and pulled from the tournament that never happened. And, you know, we haven't seen him get another big push since then. It doesn't mean that they don't have plans for him. It's just, you know, the timing of things. So I think that plays a lot into it is the timing, you know, an opportunity. You know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. You know, we don't know uh, what's going to happen down the road. I assume people that they have plans to go with, they might still do that. But, you know, it's I don't think it's locked in stone for anybody. Right, and I'm sure – Gale's probably going back and forth and decisions are probably changing as shows get canceled and things get pushed further and further back. So I think it's just kind of, a, you know, a puzzle right now. And he can change the pieces how he wants once we get a confirmed return date. Yeah, yeah, that's it's tough to know. So we will I mean, we'll see how it plays out and I can't wait for it to come back. You know, many of the, the angles that they shot. A lot of those wrestlers are still talking about them in the media as if they're still going to happen. So I think they're going to maybe potentially try to keep as many of those running storylines going as possible. But the ones that never happened, like a super junior or, you know, what have you, I mean, we have no clue. Yeah. New Japan Cup, I don't know. So next from Reddit user DomHomie101 has a series of questions here. Going to try and get through them uh, quickly here. So his first question, is it possible that we won't see NJPW another see an NJPW run another show in 2020? I don't know the answer to that. I think in theory it's possible. I think it depends on the financials and the uh, you know, the health risk. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, we've been seeing New Japan is just going to do what's best for the fans and the performers, so I'm hoping we do, but if things keep getting worse, then it could be 2021. I think that's true, but keep in mind, like I mentioned, you can't underestimate the financial impact, and at some point, there will be a straw that breaks the camel's back to where they might be, they might need to do shows. Yeah. And he says, how would an empty arena show look like in NJPW? It would look like... uh 
you know, the, the mat would be blue and there'd be a lot of sponsors all over them. And, um, you know, there'd be blue guardrails, um, kind of the same. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty much what we've seen from other promotions is what obviously it's going to be like. I think though with new Japan, because it is more sports based, I think it might kind of come off like the UFC pay-per-view this past weekend where obviously these guys, it's a competitive fight. You know, these guys aren't playing up to a crowd. I think the New Japan wrestlers would be able to kind of turn their style to where they're not really, you know, pandering to the crowd. And New Japan, they don't really, the wrestlers really don't pander to the crowd all that much in New Japan. So I think we might get like a similar kind of feel to like what we saw this weekend with UFC. Yeah, I mean, my question is, you know, every and I was just joking about what it would look like as far as um, the style. You you bring up a great point, Jeremy. I mean, every every wrestler, performer, and different companies had to try to find ways to make wrestling compelling in this kind of you know environment. And different people have tried different things with uh you know different levels of success. I wonder if they wouldn't go more towards the hard hitting never style of match, maybe even just shorten things up. Cause like you mentioned, you know, I watched this week's UFC and I found it very easy to watch. And there's because the violence and the sports center, you know, sports centric nature of it. So uh, captivating that it doesn't really matter that whether there's a crowd around or not, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and when you're watching, like say for instance, WWE and they're still locking on rest holds and doing stuff the crowd, it just doesn't make sense in, in that context so i'm wondering if like with new japan they might go even more you know i know we've been talking a lot about like the dark ages and inokism but like maybe more to a strong style based you know offensive based type of wrestling style maybe shorten up the matches you know we don't need it with this type if they did do empty arena i don't think we get the 40 minute 35 minute okada epic you know matches anymore or whatever maybe 15 minutes tops right yeah <laughs> you know for a title match or something like that maybe they shorten things up i mean i guess the real question is if they do decide to do empty arena like how the stories even progress you know what the what the booking of the shows are are they going to be booked like uh you know just regular road to shows that almost seems you know, counterproductive and, you know, not beneficial. I'm just wondering what they do to make the shows entertaining and captivating at that point, if they even do it. Yeah. He says, uh, how much backlash does a young boy get for his fucking Onokiism comments at the end of last week's episode? LOL. None. (laughs) 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 Fuck you. What you mean? (laughs) Backlash. (laughs) Uh, his next question. So you named your dream opponents for guys like Ishii, Okada, Ibushi, how many, and many more, but you didn't mention no dream matches for Naito. So what would be some dream <laughs> opponents from the past and present for Naito? When did we do that? Uh, like two, maybe two, three weeks ago. Some, I don't even remember. A listener asked us to pick dream matches for current guys from in the past and other promotions, something like that. Uh, but yeah, apparently, like I remember the question. I don't remember our answers, but apparently we had stuff for Ishii, Yakata, Bushi. But we left off the double IWGP champion. My dream match 
a guy from the past that's a dream match for me with Naito is Kenny Omega. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. His all time best opponent. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I, w- I would love to see another uh, Naito Kenny match. Um, I mean, that's the interesting thing if you think about it. Um, are there any current guys that are fresh matchups? For for you know Naito as champion that you would want to see that we haven't really seen uh, within the promotion. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I I think him and Okada always is a big match. We'll sell tickets and everything like that. But I don't. I mean, we saw him and Suzuki. It was a little bit disappointing. Um, I mean, you could do him and Jericho again, but they've done it before. Right, we've him seen, and Tanahat. Seen him and Ibushi. Yeah, we've seen him in Ibushi a bunch, which was great. But also, I think we'll look back on history and we'll we'll say that that was the straw that broke the camel's back when it comes to his overall decline in in performance and his health <laughs> uh, is due to that that series of matches. Um, the Minoru Suzuki feud was extremely disappointing in the past. Uh, I think the exciting matches that people want from him, if to be honest, that we haven't gotten. Are like all in Lij. Yeah, him versus Evil, him versus Sonata, Hiromu, Shingo. I mean, we we saw the Shingo match in G One uh, this past year. Those all of those matches are the matches people want to see. Um, you know, and not that they can't do the other ones, but we've seen him in Goto, we've seen him in Tanahashi, we've seen him in Zack Saber, we've seen. I mean, him and Ishii. Like we've seen him wrestle everybody in the company because they were holding this man off. From the title for, right. I mean, <laughs> for there, there is, there's Will Ospreay now. Um, I mean, I think him and um, Nakamura, you know, is kind of a dream match to a certain degree. Mm. Um, I mean, I think him and Muto would be interesting. Uh, you know, if you had like, you know, Great Muta versus Naito, the mind games and everything like that. That would be very interesting. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I can't I can't there's not really anybody from the past that like jumps out at me that's like this is the, the dream match I want to see with Naito. I, 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 for me it's like Muda. Like when I think about it, Muda's the only guy that really comes to mind. But there's not very many guys that I think to myself, like, I would love to see Naito wrestle them. And it's just um, maybe, maybe like, Chono, you know, once he went, like, NWO Black, mm. you know, or Team 2000, that that might be interesting. But, you know, if you notice, I'm picking character guys. Right, because it would be a total, both characters kind of playing off each other. Right, because I can't – I mean, I don't know what a Ricky Choshu or a Fujinami or a Hashimoto match looks like with Naito, you know? Right. So those are, like, the two guys. I mean, and, you know, Nakamura, I think, would be also a really great foil, especially – yeah, I think that could play out really well. So he asks, next, where does Hiromu Takahashi currently rank among the junior heavyweights from past to current? He's one of the greatest top top ten easily. Yeah, yeah. I mean, phenomenal matches. I mean, based off just what we see on the mic, uh, you know, he commands the mic. He has charisma, great mic skills. Um, you know, he was now, one. 
was gonna oh, say, go ahead. I was gonna say he's one. He was one of the higher up guys on our our Bret Hart wrestler score. I forget the exact score we gave him, but he was high up there. Ninety eight. Ninety eight. Oh, I'm sorry. I forget. <laughs> what, what's the top score? Forty. Uh, Forty. Yeah. Thirty eight. <laughs> it was somewhere. It was in the high thirties. It was like thirty two or something. Thirty six. But um, when I say top ten, I'm I am referring to New Japan. I'm not referring to all juniors all time anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little. He could be though. I don't know that for sure. I mean. You look at, like, his first title run and, you know, the great matches he had, you know, him and Taguchi, him and Ricochet, him and the Kushida series. Like, it was – and then, like, his first Super Junior – every Super Juniors that he's been in, uh, just phenomenal. Like, and then um, after he lost the title, all the matches he had trying to regain it and then the Super Juniors in 2018, um, you know, leading – like – he was the MVP of that entire tournament. He had like all four star matches. He put on that classic him and Ishimori. He beat uh, Will Ospreay, the match with him and Dragon Lee, like Hiromu. And I mean, I could just go on and on. And then you also have to look back at his um, work in Mexico with Dragon Lee. And like, you know, you don't hear very often too many guys that go on excursion and are like getting worldwide buzz and like, you know, drawing the attention of people everywhere. But that's exactly what he was doing as Kamatachi. Like him and him and Dragon Lee were like tearing up CMLL and like, you know, basically like etching their names in the record books. Like, yeah, I mean, Hiromu's really, really, really high up there. Like, yeah. he's one of the most gifted workers New Japan has ever seen in the junior division. Yeah, I, I agree. Everything that you said, I think, yeah, he's easily top 10 New Japan overall. Uh, next question, he says, do you guys think that Okada could get over as a main eventer in WWE or AEW? I think it would be very difficult with the language barrier in both companies. I think he would have an easier time in AEW. Um, obviously, those guys, look, you look at the two products, how the booking, how AEW is gone, and I think they would value him as a top star. They would push him as a top guy. Um, I think they would show you that you could use subtitles for a guy like that, and, and the fans will connect to him just through his charisma and his uh, great wrestling. I know he does know some English. I mean, it might not be perfect. Um, but I think it would be enough to kind of pass by an AEW as a top guy in WWE. I think it would be a little bit harder. Obviously, he's still a very talented wrestler, still has charisma. But we've seen the history of top Asian wrestlers, top Japanese wrestlers, and how they're pushed in uh, Vince McMahon's sports entertainment. I agree with you, Jeremy, and I see what you're saying. But I also want to kind of remind you you know, AEW, while they do a good job presenting their characters to a certain degree, um, you know, the fans who follow that product, let's look at the, the top guys that they really have gotten behind. It's Chris Jericho, it's John Moxley, and it's Cody. And as my, I like AEW, and I think that they've done a really fantastic job, especially with this current uh, quarantine. But there's no um, denying that those three guys are not the strongest workers that that company has. 
right. and like at all. Like they've got a ton of guys in AEW that are just way stronger workers, um, you know. And the biggest thing is, why are those guys so over? It's because of their promo work. And it's because of their character that they have and the connection that people make with that. And I think it would be really tough for Okada to kind of draw that same kind of acclaim. Yeah, it would be interesting. I'm not sure that we'll ever get to see it, but I think it would be interesting to see how that would kind of work out. So his next question was, what would have happened to Prince Devitt if he would have never left NJPW? Um, it's really hard to say, but I think that they were, I don't know that they ever were going to go, you know, the full Monty with him and, and put the strap on him. But I, it seems like eventually they might've done that. Yeah. I mean, also he's feuding with Tanahashi and Okada and all these top guys. And, um, yeah, I think he could have been one of those guys that, you know, he could have been in that, that Kenny Omega role where you, they go from junior and officially become heavyweight. I mean, it is just speculation. And the truth of the matter is his size, while it didn't hold him back entirely, like he, he still um, had a, a lot of success in New Japan. He's a lot smaller than, say, a Kenny Omega or an AJ Styles. Um you know, even just from like muscle tone, right? And I think, and I think that did play a role into, um, you know, ultimately his aptitude for how far he could go within that company at that given time. But you know, if it was still today, you know, seven years later, I don't know. Yeah, it's just kind of speculation at this point. But regardless, he would still be a top star if he was there. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think that there's a good. I think uh, if you he would have won the WGP title based on the story that they're telling and the popularity of his faction. I think he would have got a, a run with the strap at least once. Yeah. Um, and his last question here: Overall thoughts on low key, and why do you think? Why do you guys think low key never reached the heights of guys like CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, and to a lesser extent Samoa Joe? Well, we're going to discuss low key here in just a matter of minutes when we discuss uh, the finals, the best Super Junior final match that he's involved with. But you know, uh, low key's still wrestling. He's still fantastic. He's still a great promo. Um, but. It's his attitude. It's his relationship with, you know, the business people that he's worked with and other workers. You know, he's got a a reputation of being difficult to work with, you know, uh, burning uh, bookers and different things of that nature. I don't know if all of it is completely earned or not. You know, I'm not there in those locker rooms. But, you know, if you hear the same story over and over and over and over again everywhere he goes, and he's pretty much like blacklisted from every major company. Um, that kind of tells you something. Right, and clearly the talent's there because he's been in Ring of Honor, he's been in TNA, he's been in WWE, he's been in New Japan. Like, he's been in all the top promotions there is to be in, and I, I love Loki. He was one of my favorite guys in the mid-2000s as I started uh, discovering independent wrestling and Ring of Honor and TNA. I loved his style. I loved most of his matches. Like you mentioned, yeah, well, the reason why he hasn't reached the heights of a guy like Punk or Brian or even Styles is because of what we hear about the attitude issues and what's 
going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what his um, how far he could have gone in some of the major companies, but you know, because of the issues that we just mentioned, we'll never really get to find out, you know, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, he is having a good run now in MLW. You know, people call, you know, Court Bauer, you know, kind of a, an attitude whisperer. He's been able to work with a lot of guys who've had bad reputations and um, get them good runs in MLW. And Low-Key has been one of those guys, and he was, was a champion um, and doing some good stuff now. So, But I'm sure I'm not sure, what, you know, what the future of Low-Key is, if we could ever see him in New Japan again or any other bigger promotions. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, next, well, who knows? Next question from Rich Latta. He says, "Whatever happened to that Ricochet guy?" Um, yeah, he signed a big money deal to go wrestle for Vince, and they squandered him <laughs> uh, out here doing the job to do what he shouldn't be jobbing to. Yeah, I think that's a big question. Like, if he had stayed, how how far Ricochet could have gone? Because, I mean, I don't know. You know, sometimes, like, there's always complaints about how some there's certain guys that, you know, New Japan keeps at a certain level or just doesn't fully get behind for whatever reason. And I don't know why, but, like, I have a feeling that what, if Ricochet had stayed, he I don't think he would have, like, been a top star in New Japan for... And not because I don't think he could have been. It's just they. I don't think that they ever like saw him that way. Yeah, you don't think he could have been a top junior? Top, could have been like a top junior star. Well, he already was a top junior star. Yeah, but I mean, if he stayed, I don't. I don't think he would be doing what Will Osprey is doing right now for whatever reason. And I, I don't know why. Well, I guess you know he didn't really have like a like an Okada to vouch for him. You know, right. I don't know. It just didn't seem like that was the direction that they were ever really going with him. All right, and, and in New Japan, he was a, a little bit smaller than he is now. He's you know put on a lot of muscle. I think since his New Japan run, so. Dude, do you see the muscle Will Ospreay's put on? Yeah, dude, man is freaking hoss. <laughs> yeah, it's got it's got me worried. I know that he's like done some videos showing like, oh, I can still flip. You know, don't worry, but you know you. You put all that extra strain on your joints, your muscles, uh, your heart. I don't know what kind of long-term effects this positive or negative this might have for him. So I'm just wondering, you know, what that's gonna, you know, what that's gonna be like when he does return. Because yeah, he's jacked right now. Yeah. Next question from Kyle Martin. I was wondering if you guys could just pitch some hypothetical Dark Side of the Ring episodes for a future season. I'm interested if. And if there's any Japanese wrestling lore that would warrant an episode, personally, I'd like to know more about the Inoki Baba rivalry. Inoki telling Ogawa to shoot on Hashimoto, the rise and fall of the UWFI, and the formation of Noah. Um. Yeah, I mean, those are some those are some great examples. I don't know if all of them would be super scandalous or not, but yeah, I mean, the biggest one that just jumps to me is like the Yakuza and their involvement with Japanese wrestling in general. Um, I mean, Ricky Dozen, the godfather of Perezu, you know, getting, he got stabbed <laughs> and killed and killed by the Yakuza. And I don't know the full backstory. I don't know if anyone actually does, but 
uh, it's alleged that it was due to the JWA, which was the company that he ran, which is like the original big major Japanese wrestling promotion, uh, New Japan and All Japan kind of split off from it. Um, you know, the, there was tales that they were deeply entrenched with the you know the yakuza back in the day. Um, the chairman of FMW, I forget his name. It's like Shenchi something. Um, he killed himself because he was so indebted to the to the yakuza's, and he knew that like either he was going to get killed or his family's going to get killed. So to like save face and to like protect his family and save you know their honor, he like killed himself to avoid the yakuza. Um, which is kind of a crazy story. I mean, you hear whispers and stories about like the Yakuza's involvement with pro wrestling and MMA and, and combat sports. But like, even in like 2012, there was like a, a news story that broke about, um, the Yakuza, like forcing fans on the streets to attend Noah shows, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because the, the ticket sales were down and stuff like that. And they were on TV and they didn't want to lose the TV deal or whatever. Mm. Um, there was even an incident backstage once where Inoki got slapped around by a Yakuza boss and then like bowed to him and thanked him for the honor. Um, so, I mean, that's a, a, that all of those are, could be major ones. Um, you know what I want to see? What? I want to see the story on Kitamura. What the heck oh. freaking happened? <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know if they're going to do a dark side of the ring on that. I know, yeah. but th- that's what I would want to know because we heard all these stories about a motorcycle accident. Um, he quit. He got fired. Um, there's all these different stories that were floating around. On he wanted to go to MMA or all all this different stuff we heard. You know, I want to know what happened. Is there some kind of scandal they're trying to cover up and just kind of got rid of that man? Oh, that's another one. Um, Pride. One of the big reasons Pride went out of business at the height of their powers because uh, a news story broke that they were uh, being partly owned or ran by the Yakuza and all of their corporate sponsors pulled out and they lost their corporate backing. And they had to sell off to the UFC like real quick for like nothing. It was it's actually kind of similar in a way to what happened with WCW. Yeah, they, they like sold for a value that was way under what they're worth. That's what happened with pride. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. You bring up Kitamura as a trainee. I mean, you know, that reminds me in 1995, there was a death in the new Japan dojo. And it's alleged that Kensuke Sasaki was like the alleged culprit or main perpetrator and reason why this trainee died. Um, and the details about it are very like, kind of shady and sketched and like nothing ever happened to Sasaki, but like it's kind of a major story that people know about that. Like, yeah, one of the dojo, one of the dojo boys died training under Sasaki. There was also a major, um, scandal Gaia, uh, which was a Joshi promotion. They had like a, a TV special done on them or like an investigation and it looked into like the background of like uh, their training school and stuff. And th- what they found out was like major corruption and ba- really, really, really bad abuse. I mean, we talk, you know, it's legendary the kind of like, uh, you know, strict training that uh, 
you know, wrestlers come in under, especially like in the dojo systems. But this is like way beyond that. There was like, they were basically shooting like super hard and like hurting like the young girls in the Gaia like dojos. And like, uh, I think Chigusa Nagoya like drop kicked this girl in the face, like this trainee and broke her orbital bone, like on uh, TV when they're doing like the, basically the equivalent of like a 2020 special. And it like got a lot of press and attention for that company. It was very detrimental to them. Because uh, they were like beating the girls and like doing all sorts of like they're doing really messed up stuff. They're like, I can't even remember everything. I think they're like forcing them to go in there and shoot and like embarrassing the girl that lost and stuff like that. Like it, it is really bad. Damn. <laughs> um, th- there's been a lot of scandals over these. Uh, Inoki himself. I mean, the embezzlement scheme where he got ousted from you know presidency of the company in like '84. Um, all the Inokiism stuff, the thing he brought up, the, the incident with uh, Hashimoto and Nagoya and Nagoya shooting on him in the Tokyo Dome in 1999, that's like a huge, huge deal. I mean, there there have been a lot of scandals over the years. Not We're we're just like touching on a few of them. I mean, there's a lot more. Yeah, I think Dark Side of the Ring would be kind of a great thing if they'd want to do um, focus on Japanese wrestling for a season. Oh, the animal cruelty in Dragon Gate. They called it uh, the Monkey Gate scandal. There was like this monkey that was living in the dojo in uh, in Dragon Gate. And this one of the wrestlers was like doing a, a blog and he was detailing and showing like the really, really, really bad abuse from the wrestlers to this monkey. And he like had it all over the Internet and people found it and caught on and it became like a huge public scandal because they were like doing animal abuse. It was Crazy. really bad. I've never, I never heard about that. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff like this. I mean, you know, and then all the times people got shot on in Japan, you know, uh, Koji Katao himself, he's just like a walking like, uh, you know, magnet for this sort of stuff. Uh, when uh, Sasuke, Great Sasuke shot on... Uh, Dirt Bike Kid in, in Michinoku Pro. That one in uh, Stardom from a couple years ago, uh, Yoshiki, was that the girl's name? I think so, yeah. She uh, she was, like, one of the top stars. She, like, shot on this chick and, like, destroyed her, and, like, it, like, almost ended the promotion. It was really, really, really bad. James would know. It's just all sorts of stuff, man. I mean, you could – those are just stuff off the top of my head. There's a lot more. Yeah, so, yeah, great question, Kyle. Uh, next question comes from Highest Fly Flow in Discord. He says, "When do you, when does, when do you think each of the dads transform from individual wrestlers to dads? Also, re- rate each of the dads from best to worst." Oh man, that is a tough question. Um, I mean, I think like really. I don't know. I don't have specifics. I think for like. For Kojima, to me, it was, like, after he lost the title to Tanahashi. Um, With Nagata, I think it's kind of the same thing, but, like, maybe, you know, I don't know. I I also think back to, like, his feud with uh, Shibata Mm. might be it. I don't know. Um, For Tenzan, I think about, like, Tenzan's last uh, G1 run. I don't know. I mean, I don't know when they, like, became primarily prelim guys. Like, I don't know when that exactly happened. 
Right. I think it all was like I think it was like all around the same time as when um, Kojima kind of went down on the card after he dropped the title to to, to Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom. And then you have you know the rise of Tanahashi, the, the incoming Okada, that Tanahashi Okada rivalry. Obviously, the, you know they're building up Naito. Uh, you got Nakamura still. You got Shibata. You got a lot of great guys, kind of you know really busting out on the scene there. And so I think through that whole kind of transition, those guys start taking a backseat. Yeah, because I mean you know Tenzan and um, Nakanishi's bodies broke down a lot quicker than. Nagata and Kojima. So, I mean, they were already kind of in that preliminary role a, a bit sooner. And I do remember after Kojima dropped the belt and, you know, the whole Kojima goon things ended, they went back to the whole Tenkoji thing for a while. So that might be like kind of the transition phase for both of those guys to move into that like dad role. I don't know. Um, I'm guessing like after Blue Justice broke up for – um, for Nagata because you know he had his own stable at one point. Um, it was like who? It was like him, Fale. Yeah, um, Fale was in there. Super Strong Machine was in there. I'm trying to remember who else. Tama, maybe I don't know, but uh, yeah. I mean, after after he stopped being like a top guy, like he was kind of the transitional guy to transition over to. Tanahashi and they had a, like a, a ton of matches for the title. It was like him, you know, Shinsuke and Tanahashi, like kind of all like in a triangle. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there was a, a key moment. Then as far as rating them from best to worst, I think we're both in agreement in the order of Nagata, Kojima, Tenzan, Nakanishi. Overall, I would pretty much agree but I think Tenzan for me sometimes peaked really, really, really high at his highest of heights. And I think when he was at his highest, if someone made the argument that he was just as good or even better than Nagata or uh, Kojima, I wouldn't argue with them. He was that good at one point. Hmm. And then uh, last question here from EMJ does PR. How would you guys elevate the World Tag League to make it more meaningful? Combine it with the Junior Tag League, bring in ringers from other promotions? Um, yeah, I guess this is a tough question. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I wouldn't do the single block tournament format. Uh, that's one thing. Um, I don't know. If I was going to make it really important... I would probably only have teams that were important in there. So even if that meant like lowering the number of teams that compete in the actual tournament, like right now they've got what, like 20. Yeah. I think it's like a, something like that. Yeah. There's not 20 viable tag teams in Japan or in new Japan right now. So, I mean, I would try to make it Starfield. Uh, here's what, okay. I would, I would move the turn. Not that I'm saying they should do this, but if your goal was to make it important, it does not happen in December, not right before Wrestle Kingdom, because the problem right now is that the winner of this tournament goes on to fight uh, the champions for the title at Wrestle Kingdom. 
the problem with that is you already have title matches slated and set up with, you know, the IWGP champion and various other big stars. So it's, it makes no sense and it's not believable to have them in the tag tournament right now at all. Um, so maybe move this tournament to a different date to where those types of people can be in the tournament and it be, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if you had a, a tournament full of all these mega teams, you have, you know, Bushi Tanahashi, you have Okada Osprey, your, you know, your Jay White, Kenta, Goto and Ishii. If you had a tournament full of teams like that, that elevates the tournament and will make it great. Uh, here's another idea. Uh, they used to do this in all Japan. I'm not saying they should do this, but if you, in in theory, if you want to make the tournament important, champion the champions vacate their title, and the winner of the tournament becomes the new champions every time. Yeah, that's what they used to do for the World Tag League. Uh, then you don't have to have a, a a stipulation where the winners fight the champions at Wrestle Kingdom because they're already the champions. So it ups the stakes, ups the ante. Or how about this one? You just treat the, the division like it matters, and you have top stars in the division so that when they do do it at Wrestle Kingdom, it's like a second from the top headlinings type of match, you know? Right. So, like, if Ibushi and Tanahashi are the champions, why not have the tournament winners be, like, Okada and whoever? Okada and uh, what's uh Osprey. And Osprey. So now you've got a match that like everyone wants to see because all the top guys are involved in it, thus adding you know prestige and importance. Um, I don't think that it's a bad idea to have ringers from outside. It's just like wh- what? Who are these ringers? <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know of any like major drawing act tag teams on the outside that aren't really signed to like a major company. You know, I mean, you could bring in like the Briscoes, but I don't know how many like Japanese, I mean, fans never really took to them too much. I mean, you could bring in like Aussie open or, you know, whoever, but I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I think it would give it an international flair, but I don't know, how, you know, what the long-term benefits of that would be. I think there's a lot of things they could do differently. I mean, we just named a bunch of ideas. So, yeah, I mean, just, when I try to think of outside tag teams, I mean, pretty much all of the top tag teams are kind of locked into a promotion right now. So I, it's not like any teams I could think about. I mean, unless you want to, you want to grab some like teams from if you want to work with other promotions in Japan, maybe. That's what I was just about to say. You, yeah, you bring in like violent giants, or you know, you bring in some t- some top teams like that from other promotions. Strong BJ. Yeah. Yeah, that would change things a lot. You bring in like a top team like that. Or, you know, God forbid, the Young Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something crazy like that. Then, yeah, that'd be awesome. I mean, maybe, like, uh, from Ring of Honor, like, maybe, like, uh, uh, Villain Enterprises. Yeah, they were supposed to be in the tournament uh, last year, but uh, PCO got injured. So, yeah, PCO. Like that would be cool. Yeah. PCO and Brody, that, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I just think, you know, and... Y- the people who are in the tournament need to have great matches so that the tournament matters. I mean, you know, there was a reason why back in the day, like the all Japan tournament was like the premier tournament in the world. Like it was like the biggest wrestling event all year for anywhere in the world because it mattered, you know, I don't think the, uh, 
New Japan World Tag League has ever mattered like that, really, hardly at all. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up for all the questions this week. Thank you, everybody, for submitting your questions. And now it is time for the final countdown. So last week was week four. We talked about best of the American Super Juniors 2004 with the American Dragon Daniel Bryan defeating, oh, I should say American, Daniel, American Dragon Bryan Danielson, he's his you know, indie name, defeated Rocky Romero to get into the best of Super Juniors 2004, which the finals of that tournament we talked about, Tiger Mask 4 defeating Koji Kanemoto. Then we had to jump to 06 where Minoru defeated Tiger Mask, then 07, Milano Collection AT, defeating Wataro Inui, and then we're going to jump to 09, where Koji Kanemoto defeated Prince Devitt. Um, good news on those two years that we had to skip, 05 and 08. We were, or are, going to be able to get the footage for those matches, and so when we get the footage for those matches, we will review the finals from 05 and 08 and put them in the compilation that we're going to do of all of the final countdown reviews together. Yeah. And I just like to extend my uh, thank you to uh, Sugabayashi for going deep into the archives and uh, providing the, that footage to us uh, personally. <laughs> <laughs> we're just waiting for it to uh, come here from Japan. And once we, uh, once we get the package, we'll, uh, We'll do the review for you people. Yeah. So this week we're going to be starting with the finals from 2010. So the 2010 tournament featured 16 participants in a two-block tournament held from May 30th to June 13th. Uh, this tournament, we had a lot of outside entrants. We had Fujita Jr., uh, Hayato from Michinoku Pro, Kota Ibushi from DDT Pro Wrestling, Kenny Omega, from DDT slash Ring of Honor slash Pro Wrestling Gorilla. We had Kushida from Smash. We had La Sombra from CMLL. Davey Richards from ROH and PWG. Taiji Ishimori from Pro Wrestling Noah. On May 31st, just one day after the tournament started, it was announced that Tiger Mask 4 had suffered a vertebrae injury during his match against La Sombra and was forced out of action for two months as a result. His injury, Tiger Mask 4, withdrew from the competition, forfeiting the rest of his matches, automatically giving all his opponents two points. So it's kind of like a stimulus check. <laughs> we all get it. Yes. Um, and there was another injury later on in the tournament on June 6th. Vegeta Hayato had to forfeit his match against Akira due to an injury and also forfeit the rest of the tournament. So, young boy, run down the, the full list of participants here at A Block and B Block. Yeah, so uh, in the A Block, we had Tiger Mask 4, Gato, La Sombra, Kushida, Jushin Thunder Liger, Davey Richards, Prince Devitt, and Kota Ibushi. And in the B Block, we had Nobu Yoshihashi. Is that just Yoshihashi, I'm guessing? I'm guessing. Maybe. I didn't click through on that one. Huh. Tamatonga, 
uh, Fujita Hayato Jr. and uh, Koji Kenamoto, Kenny Omega, Akira, Ryuzuki Taguchi, and Taiji Ishimori. Man, look at that lineup, man. This thing was stacked. I feel like this is one of the first tournaments we're, we're kind of getting back to the heydays where you're having, you know, you have an outside guys. It's a stacked tournament. You look at all, all these names that are here. Like, this is a great lineup. Yeah, the lineup is great. There's also the aspect where, you know, business was kind of down at the time. And so they kind of needed to rely on outside talent because they didn't have a strong junior division at that point either. So I think that's another, you know, thing to kind of consider when it comes to this. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, this, I mean, if you, if you look at where all these guys are today, and where they've been, you're talking, I mean, La Sombra, I mean, that's Andrade, you know, Davey Richards, Kushida, like, holy crap, you know? Um, I don't know. Ishimori and Kenny Omega sounds freaking dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Tamatonga as a junior sounds funny, so yeah. <laughs> and so, once again, we're using the A1, B2, B1, A2 format for the semifinals to get to our finals. So the A1 was Kota Ibushi, who faced off against the B2 in Rizuke Gucci, and the B1 was Taiji Ishimori, facing off against the A2 Prince Devitt. So Ibushi defeats Taguchi, and Devitt defeats Taiji Ishimori. So we have a final here of the A1 versus the A2, so a match that would have happened earlier on in the tournament, happening again here in the finals. Prince Devitt versus Kota Ibushi at Corken Hall in Tokyo, Japan. So young boy, give us some background on Prince Devitt and Kota Ibushi. Yeah, so um, we actually discussed Prince Devitt on last week's episode. But, um, you know, as you remember, uh, Prince Devitt, you know, he was a finalist in the previous year's tournament. And he had that was his first, uh, you know, time making it to the finals. And he was defeated by submission by Koji Kenemoto. So uh, at this point, he, you know, has made it to the finals and, you know, uh, a little bit older, uh, a little bit more, um, you know, tenured with his uh, time with New Japan at this point. And, you know, the crowd is a little bit more behind him and familiar with his work. And he, you know, he's done more. I think he might have even had a junior uh, title run by this point, but I can't remember specifically. Um, but on the opposite end of things, we have a newcomer. Uh, Kota Ibushi. This is the point uh, in the review where modern uh, listeners are probably starting to recognize the names that, you know, and I think going forward for the rest of, of our review series, they're going to recognize all, all the names if, if they're mildly uh, familiar with the product. So yeah. um, this is the first time that we've seen Kota Ibushi. Uh, you know, Kota Ibushi, he began his career with Dramatic Dream Team in 2004. The interesting fact with Kotobushi is that he is essentially a self-taught and self-trained professional wrestler. Uh, you know, he didn't go to a traditional like wrestling school or anything of that nature to begin his career. Uh, eventually, he did, you know, wind up in a dojo. Uh, you know, his training is accredited to like Shuji Kondo and Mikami, but the majority of his like early wrestling career, he's you know, did it all on his own, <laughs> which is a lot different than the traditional route of most Japanese professional wrestlers. 
Um, by the time this tournament is taking place, you know, he has kind of established himself as like one of, if not the top guy in DDT. I mean, um, you know, a three-time King of the KOD Openweight Champion, uh, five-time KOD Tag Team Champion, two-time KOD Six-Man Tag Team Champion, um, you know, very successful tag team uh, with Kenny Omega as the Golden Lovers. Uh, you know, they were starting to do dates in Japan and had a, uh, you know, a very famous feud with Apollo Gogo or Apollo 55, which was the team of Prince Devitt and uh, Ryuzuki Taguchi, which is interesting going into this finals because you've got arguably at this time the two biggest stars of those teams going against one another in the finals. Um, and 2009 is basically when Ibushi started working for New Japan and, you know, doing dates with them alongside Kenny Omega, doing the Super Juniors, doing the IWGP Junior Tag Team, uh, you know, um, the Junior Tag Team title challenges and title runs and everything of that nature. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, when he finally makes his way to Japan, he's held almost like every title in DDT. Wow. So yeah, just kind of burning a trail over there in DDT, top guy, getting some buzz and now kind of jumping over to New Japan. Yeah, I think he also like simultaneously held the Ironman heavyweight title and the KOD openweight title uh, when he made his jump and he was like a multi-time independent world junior heavyweight title holder. So I mean, he he wrestled like a lot of the top guys already like outside of Japan. Nice. Or out, outside of New Japan, I should say. All right, so the matchup here, Devitt and Ibushi. What do you think, young boy? This match was insane. Um, very, very, very different from every single Super Junior final that we've seen prior to this. Uh, Inokiism, you know, eat your heart out. This is the anti-Inokiism. This is uh, what we like to refer to around here at as RLPW, Ritz Lada Pro Wrestling. Uh, this was literally the epitome of a spot fest. This is That's exactly what this match was. A through and through, tried and true spot fest. All the dives, all the time, that's what these guys were doing. Yeah, I freaking love this thing. I love a good spot fest. And yeah, these guys were flipping all over the place. We saw gold, the golden triangle from Ibushi. He's doing springboard drop kicks from the, the outside. Um, Devitt's doing tope con helos. These guys are striking each other hard. Um, suplexes. You name it. These guys were doing it in this match. And it just really made it was a, a great matchup. And overall, uh, I really love this thing, and, you know, it's kind of getting us kicked off on this streak and where we're kind of getting some more higher-level matches in these finals. Yeah, now, one thing that we forgot to mention last week, and I, and um, it something I noticed about the last couple matches, maybe, I don't know if it was just 2009, maybe it was 2008 as well, but definitely 2009, and then also here in 2010, um, these matches didn't have any commentary. Did you notice that? Um, I don't, I didn't think I caught onto that, but yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It was really strange because I mean, they aired, um, you know, like I believe they aired or at least they were released for like commercial, 
uh, release, but like, yeah, there's no commentary here, like at all, which was very strange. I mean, I I think like we're kind of accustomed to that with some Japanese companies, but for New Japan, I don't, I'm not used to that, like hardly at all. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was one interesting thing here. Um, what I will say about the match is. I thought it was very entertaining and I thought it was very thrilling, but I think it lacked in my opinion, many of the things that are needed for a match to be truly great or outstanding. Like, you know, um, I think that there does need to be a semblance of a story. And the story here was basically anything you do, I can do better. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was just one guy doing something crazy. And then the next guy doing something crazy, but sometimes it's the stuff in between the little things that kind of interconnect those spots and make, build them up and make them meaningful. This wasn't really that, like there wasn't much really happening in between. Um, with that being said, the spots were incredible. Like these guys were doing truly like death defying, like dives, they were really risking their bodies and going all over the place. You know, we saw a dev the year before against Koji Kinemoto. We saw some of this, he did do some crazy things, but this was on a different level. Um, I really enjoyed the match. I, I, I'm not as high on it as you were, uh, for a number of reasons, but I thought, I thought this was really, really good. And I think it's, um, where the junior division kind of needed to go after kind of languishing for those years prior to this, like they needed to go back to, you know, high flying, fast paced junior style wrestling, which was kind of missing for what a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really love the match. And yeah, I was kind of glad to see here, you know, the, the junior division kind of moving back. Like you mentioned to that, that high paced kind of high flying style. Um, I thought it was very interesting, even though, you know, Kota Ibushi is the, you know, native Japanese wrestler, uh, the crowd firmly behind Prince Devitt, you know, he's, yeah. he's their guy. He came through the dojo. They've been seeing him kind of come up. He was in the finals last year. They were behind Devitt the whole match, and they really wanted Devitt to win this thing. Devitt is super over, and um, he's one of he's more over in this match than most wrestlers we've seen on any night throughout the entire review process. So, I mean, yeah, he was a, he was a big star, and uh, that's kind of telling. But yeah. I really, I really enjoyed this. Now, here's the one of the things that kind of made the match a little bit awkward was I think they were actually trending to have an even greater match than they ended up having. But towards the end of the match, uh, Kota Ibushi, you know, hits a German suplex for a near fall, near fall, and then goes to hit a 450. And um, when he hits it, Something either goes wrong with his elbow or his shoulder. Uh, I think we we talked about this off the air, but I th- I think we disagree a little bit. I think he dislocated his elbow, and I think you thought it was like a shoulder injury. Yeah, see, I was a little bit confused because so he hits the four fifty, and you can tell from the landing like he landed on his arms hard. So the elbow injury makes sense, and he like he was holding the elbow at first. Then the trainers come in, and the trainers are talking to him. He's grabbing his shoulder. So I'm like, uh, so I'm like, I don't know. Maybe hurt both of them. I don't know. His to me, he was holding the shoulder like to sell it, but his arm was dangling. I think it. The only reason I say this is because I remember when Eddie Guerrero uh, hit that frog splash on Raw, and his 
elbow dislocated. That's what this looked like to me. It looked like his elbow dislocated. Like it, I, I rewatched it a couple times, and you kind of see like a deep divot or divot, like where in his like shoulder or like in his elbow joint, like where it should be. That's my thinking. I could be wrong. I'm not a doctor, but uh, I thought he was holding the, his arm was dangling. I think he was just holding the shoulder to like kind of sell it. But either in either case, we get trainers coming in. They're checking on Ibushi. Doctors. They're looking at him, and then. Um, he continues to fight and then they go to a, uh, you know, the bloody Sunday finish very quickly after that. And, um, Ibushi loses to Prince Devitt and it was kind of an anticlimactic finish. I thought the part where the trainers came and checked on him was really great. The first time I watched this, I thought it was part of the story. I was like, Oh man, this is great. Like he hurt his shoulder. The doctors are checking on him. No, I'm going to fight through it. And I was like, they're they're taking this place somewhere special. And then he gets hit with the bloody Sunday, and I was like, oh, he was actually hurt. Right? Yeah. They're like, let's let's go <laughs> home, had, brother. And they had to go home. <laughs> it's like, take me home, brother. Trouble yeah. in paradise, bloody Sunday. Yeah, but um, and I I don't fault them for that. That's you know no one's fault. It's just something that happened. But the match was getting so good at that point that I thought that they were on track to have an even better match. And it just kind of ended like that, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, one spot in the match that really popped me, you know, and this is kind of part of my, like my WWE uh, brain rot is, you know, I'm so used to Finn Balor's matches ending with a double foot stomp. So when Devin hits the gut buster and hits a double foot stomp, I'm like, Oh, this is it. One, two. And the Bushi kicked out. And I was just like, Holy crap. He kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what? Like, yes, the Bloody Sunday was like his finisher, but like he finished guys with the double foot stomp. So it wasn't um, like I popped for it, too. I, I really popped for it because I thought he beat him. And yeah, Bushi kicked out. It was it, this match is great. It was really good. I, I went four stars on it. Yeah, I went uh, four and a quarter stars on it. Okay, but yeah, really good. I also think that I noticed they didn't have the guardrails, and that's something that we always see nowadays. But we—I don't think we saw that at, for any of the finals up until this point. I think that was like this is the first finals where we're kind of seeing like the more modernization of the tournament to like what we're used to now. Yeah. If it's not this match, it was the next match. I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did notice though after the match, Prince Devitt, uh, you know, he when uh, in the version I was watching, he was talking to the crowd, and he acknowledged that business was down. Did you hear that? No, I didn't. Yeah, he's like cutting cutting a promo and just thanking the fans for their support, and he's like, even when business is a little down right now, and <laughs> I was like, oh, that's interesting that you know he's acknowledging it, and then he calls out you know Marafuji. Because Marafuji was the current champion at the time. Oh, you know what? Yeah. So speaking of that, I know for a fact that Devitt had been a previous champion because he dropped the belt to Marafuji on January 4th. So, yeah, going into this match, Devitt is a you know former champion and, and everything of that nature, too. So Yeah, so winning the tournament, he gets his big rematch with Marafuji on June 19th, 2010 at Dominion. And he defeats Marafuji to become the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion and bring the belt back to New Japan. Is that the match that I had you watch? Uh, I can't remember now. For, for, 
for the recommended match. I know I made you watch one of their matches. Yeah, it, it might have been the minion match. Honestly, I can't remember right now. Yeah, that year, both the the Dominion match as well as the January Fourth match are both so good that I think like it split a lot of people's votes as to like the New Japan match of the year. Uh, but I mean that th- that series along with like the Golden Lovers Apollo Fifty Five matches are like at the top of the list. Nice, and uh, we do have some observer notes for every match here. Um, you know, Dave was you know following New Japan and publishing regular observers and they're all available for all these years and have some notes here. Uh, so for this one, he says Fergal Prince David of Wicko Ireland on June 13th, Cork and Hall in Tokyo became the first foreigner to win new Japan's best of the super junior tournament since Eddie Guerrero did so under the hood as black tiger in 96. David pinned DDT's Kota Ibushi in 1443 with the bloody Sunday DDT after Ibushi suffered a shoulder injury. David followed in something of a tradition of young wrestlers as he finished second last year to Koji Kanemoto in the tournament. The tournament booking ended up switched around because of injuries to both Tiger Masks, who probably would have won several matches, but was out of action after the first night due to a serious neck injury, and Fujita Jr. Hayato, who blew out his knee mid-tourney. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, Dave's absolutely right. I mean, you, it's not uncommon to see, like, with younger wrestlers, they get to the finals of a tournament and then maybe win the next year. And that's exactly what they did with Devitt in this instance. Right. And I think we'll see that pattern kind of moving forward with some guy failing to win one year and then ending up in the finals again and trying to win and end up and end up winning. Yeah. So any final thoughts on 2010? Overall, thought it was a, you know, really fun match. Great match. Went four and a quarter on it. It's definitely worth a watch if you have not watched it yet. All right, great. So let's move on to Best Super Juniors Finals 2011. Yep, so 2011, we have an 18-participant block this year from May 26th to June 10th. This would be the largest number of entries in the history of the tournament. Uh, Outsiders included uh, Daisuke Sasake, he's a freelancer, Vegeta Jr. Hayato from Michinoku Pro, Great Sasake from Michinoku Pro, Kenny Omega from DDT, Kota Ibushi from DDT, Mascara Dorado from CMLL, TJP as a freelancer from the U.S. Sasaki and Taichi earned their spots in the tournament by winning Road to Super Junior, a two-day tournament on April 8, 2011. The young boy, tell us the full lineup here from the A and B block. Great. So in the A block, we had Jado, Taichi, TJP, Fujita, Hayato, Tiger Mask 4, Koji Kanemoto, Kenny Omega, Davey Richards and Prince Devitt. And then in the B block, we had Daisuke Sasaki, Gato, Jushin Thunderlager, Mascara Dorada, Takamichinoku, Kushida, Great Suzuki, uh, Rizuki Suguchi, and Kota Ibushi. Again, another solid lineup here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, some of those outside names, uh, we see the returns to them. I, I thought Great Sasuke is very interesting in 2011 to see him uh, <laughs> return to the tournament after, you know, many years away. And then he, he got like 10 points. <laughs> yeah. Then Mascara um, Dorada, uh, fans might know him as Graham Metallic from the Lucha House Party. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Uh Last night they did the what was the pay per view uh, money, money in the, the bank. bank, and we're sitting there watching it. And um, Lucha House Party comes out. And my girlfriend's like, 
I'm really not impressed with these guys. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, uh, he's only like one of the like premier like workers in the entire world. And then like when the match ended, she's like, I knew the new day were going to win. And I was like, yeah, they pinned the best worker in the freaking match. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So uh, this year we still have the A1 versus B2 and B1 versus A2 format. So in the semifinals for the A1, we have uh, tag partners colliding here. We have Prince Devitt facing off against Rusuke Taguchi. And then the B1-A2, we have Kota Abushi versus Davey Richards. And Taguchi beats his partner Devitt, and Abushi defeats Davey Richards. And we have Abushi going to the finals for the second year in a row to take on Rusuke Taguchi. Yeah, so very, very interesting finale here. So, you know, um, just kind of give you guys a little bit of background here. So everyone is, you know, familiar with the coach, uh, Ryusuke Taguchi, you know, leader of uh, uh, what's Taguchi's group name? Uh, Team uh, Taguchi Japan. Yeah, Taguchi Japan. But, um, you know, in 20, what year are we in, 2011? Yes. Uh, you know, the Taguchi that you would come to see is a little different. Uh, you know, he wasn't wearing the Eddie Guerrero uh, tribute attire just yet. Uh, we do start to see uh, some of the same, like, tendencies. His music's the same. Yeah. <laughs> and he's still got funky weapon on the back of his trunks, and he kind of does, like, a funny, like, uh, you know, Val Venus, Rick Rude, like, gyrating movement when the match starts. So you see a little bit of a, the, the, the pervert you know, deep down in there still, yeah. but, um, a much more serious competitor. Um, just to kind of give you guys some background here though. Um, you know, Taguchi, uh, was like a, as a high school student, you know, he actually was an amateur wrestler and in college as well before he joined the dojo. Um, he is a, a new Japan dojo product as of 2002. And then he debuted that same year in Cork and hall wrestling in the junior heavyweight division, which he still does. So, uh, but the big difference is back then he actually was within the weight, the weight limits of the, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, um, Taguchi was, uh, you know, partly like his whole the whole thing with like the funky weapon he kind of gets that from like shiro koshinaka um but yeah he uh did a lot of different like athletic pursuits in high school baseball soccer track and field wrestling as well and then uh you know the funny thing is he actually made his debut in november of 2002 in a losing effort against uh toriano which i think is a lot of people's uh you know comedy dream match nowadays in new japan yeah um, but yeah, he was a minor wrestler, uh, all throughout 2003. He even entered the super juniors, uh, that same year, uh, sort of by default because Minoru Tanaka pulled out, but he finished in last place with zero points, just like losing all the matches. And then, you know, through the, the next, like, you know, seven years, he kind of just like worked his way, like through the, uh, you know, New Japan system, you know, first being a young lion, doing the young lion cups, and then doing like, uh, you know, all, all the different tours. He did excursion to Mexico, uh, you know, then came back and then kind of became more of a serious wrestler. And then around 2007, 2008 is when he started like making challenges for the junior title, 
Um, so by the time you, we get to, you know, 2000, what year are we in 11? Yes. You know, he's a lot more serious competitor. He's, you know, involved in uh, Apollo 55. He's got a tag team with Prince Debit where, you know, they're like one of the top, uh, you know, tag teams in all of uh, Japan at this point. So, I mean, you know, he made his debut in 2002. So, I mean, he's been wrestling for New Japan for close to a decade you know, so he's not necessarily like a, a young wrestler at that, even at that point, like, you know, pretty experienced vet already. Yeah. And, and very popular to boot. Yeah. And you, you clearly see that here once again with the crowd support, um, crowd firmly behind Taguchi. They've seen this guy come through their system, um, big fan of him. And you just kind of see just kind of the star he was and just how great of a wrestler Taguchi is. Especially in this final yeah. match here. Yeah, I thought Taguchi was great. Uh, the funny thing is I kind of went into this match not expecting to like it very much. I knew how great Taguchi was, but I just, for whatever reason, the first time I turned it on, I just couldn't really get into the match. Um, and so I kind of like put it off for a few days. I was like, you know, I'll get back to this review in a few days. And then when I finally like sat down to watch it, like, Everything about this match was really, really, really good. I think what um, while this had some high spots for sure and a lot of, you know, aerial maneuvers and things of that nature, obviously it didn't stack up to the same type of, uh, you know, aerial assaults and, and uh, risks risk taking that we saw in the 2010 match. But what the 2010 match, you know, lacked in story, this one kind of made up for it and. It is the reason why I like this match uh, a bit more. I think they had a lot more, um, you know, near falls. I think they had a lot more story behind it. They also had a lot of really hard striking from both guys, and they they just did a really, really good job, uh, you know, kind of controlling the crowd and, like, drawing their anticipation. Uh, This match was outstanding. Yeah, I love this match. I uh, went four and a half here. I, I liked it better than the 2010. Also, you have the, the added layer of story here with Abushi failing to defeat Taguchi's partner, partner in 2010. And so now he's facing Taguchi here in 2011 and having to you know face his obstacle of trying to win the tournament and also facing the other half of Apollo 55. So you got that, that uh, element of storytelling right there. And like you said, yeah, they just did a great job. The layout of this match was excellent. Tons of great strikes, tons of high spots. Uh, yeah, this is an excellent match. Yeah, there's a lot I liked about it. Uh, you know, it started off a little bit slow um, with, like, the submission holds and the groundwork and uh, the grappling. But, you know, I kind of had to realize that we were going back to doing epic matches for the finals of the Super Juniors. Go figure. Yes. <laughs> because for a long time for whatever reason, like almost a decade, while a lot of those matches we reviewed were good, I wouldn't call them like great epic matches, but this was more akin to like what you would see, like with the big match style of new Japan today, like where they built to a giant climax. And so like, it kind of started off with, you know, your typical like uh, grappling and everything. And then, you know, they'll go for lots of near falls, you know, there's heat segment, the comeback and then they go into like tons of crazy strikes, tons of big moves. Um, Taguchi looking for a dodon the entire time. Um, Ibushi just hitting 
Taguchi with everything. Uh, there's one point where like Taguchi hits this huge lariat and then goes for a pinfall and uh, Kotobushi like kicks out and suddenly like murder Kota is up and I was like, oh my god, I love this. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think business really picked up here in this match once Abushi hits the golden triangle. And then from there, it's kind of like a go, 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 faster pace throughout the match. Yeah, for, for a lot of it, I was like, this is pretty good. I'll probably go like near four stars. And then once it picked up, I was like, all right, yeah, they got me. We're at like four and a quarter. But the last like few minutes are so good that I'm like, all right, fuck, you guys did it. Four and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I popped for seeing Murder Coda from that lariat. Yeah, then Bush just kind of gets up. He does a, a lawn dart to, um, to Gucci. And then follows up with a lariat of his that, own. That was nasty. Yeah. He had a nasty lariat and gets a near fall off of that. And then we got kind of getting a little back and forth. You know, Taguchi's still kind of going for the do, uh, Dodon. Abushi's trying to go for the last ride. Um, he actually gets it once earlier in the match, like shortly after that lawn dart, and Taguchi kicks out. And I was like, oh, holy crap. Yeah, I was like, okay. We're, we're picking up. Things are picking up. We're on, we're on pace here. And there's a bunch of near falls. There's a dragon suplex. There's a 450 near like near fall. Uh, eventually, Taguchi hits the uh, the Dodon, and um, like after like missing it a bunch of times, he finally gets it, and Abushi freaking kicked out of it. And I was like, "Holy crap!" Yeah, dude, I popped huge for that. Yeah, because yeah, he hit him with a, a Integuri and the Dodon after, and he hit him with a tiger tiger suplex before this. Then he's an integrity, yeah. then a Dodon. I'm like, oh, well, that's it. And Abushi kicks out. Um, then he's trying to get the Dodon again, and um, Abushi hits that. Abushi hits his own Tiger Suplex. Well, he hits that uh, that Moonsault kick first. Then he hits a, it was a half Nelson, I think it was. Uh, okay. Suplex. But either way, he dropped uh, Taguchi right on his head with that Suplex. Yeah, and then um, you know after some more action, he he goes for another last ride and. Taguchi kicks out of that. So then he goes to the top and hits the Phoenix splash and, you know, kind of ends this thing. Uh, luckily he did not injure his elbow this time. And luckily, you know, his high risk paid off as he wins the best super juniors 2011. Yeah. And he was so happy. He's like hugging red shoes and crying. No, no he's not, he's not hug, hugging red shoes. He's sexually assaulting red <laughs> shoes. He lays over that man's prone body. Like yeah, he he's completely tackled him. <laughs> yeah, bro. Like, uh, it was a little excessive, but, um, yeah, it was really great. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, so they they had been feuding in 2009 as well as 2010 with uh, uh, Apollo 55, the Golden Lovers, that is. And, you know, so for Abushi to have lost the year prior to Prince Devitt, uh, for him to get this big win over Taguchi the, the next year was a big monumental moment for him. Yeah. And that feud will kind of play out in the aftermath of this tournament. So Abushi becomes the first wrestler not affiliated with New Japan to win uh, the tournament. And then he Ever. Would, yeah. And then he would go on to face Prince Devitt on June 18th, and he, he beats Devitt for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. Wow. It's a big deal. Yeah. And then uh, going to the Observer here, uh, Dave says, for the first time in history, the annual New Japan Best of Super Junior Tournament crowned an outsider as champion 
with DT Promotions, Kota Ibushi scoring wins over R, which is Davey Richards, and New Japan's Rizuka Gucci on the final night. A sellout crowd of 2005 at Cork and Hall saw Ibushi set up yet another match with IWGP Junior Champion Prince Devitt, who was kept strong in the tournament, winning a seven, winning the A block of a seven to one record. However, Devitt was pinned eight minutes 29 by tag team partner Deguchi, who placed second in the B block of a small package to go to the finals. The B block champion Ibushi first pinned Richards in 11:17 after a Firebird splash, uh, before pinning Deguchi 20:22 to win the championship. As has been the case a number of times, Ibushi, who lost in last year's finals to Devitt, went from runner-up to following up as the champion. The Devitt-Ibushi title match was announced for June 18th in Osaka. While the Best of the Super Junior Tournament itself dates back to 1988, historically, the first major New Japan Junior Tournament was in 1984, which was a big deal at the time, but even bigger in hindsight when you consider the names of wrestlers involved were Dave Boy Smith, Dynamite Kid, The Cobra, the original Black Tiger, Rollerball, Mark Rocco, Bret Hart, Kuniaki Kobayashi, Asuma Tenarayashi, Nobuhiko Takata, and Babeface. Hart and Takata went on to become two of wrestling's biggest stars of the 90s, while Kid was considered an all-time great and Rocco was considered Britain's best wrestler of the era, while Smith ended up becoming one of the most popular wrestlers in the UK and a major US star. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that, like, he, he keeps bringing up this 84 tournament. I actually found record of it because I was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's top of the Super Juniors, like, not the original tournament. Like, do we need to go back further? But, like, I found out that, like, so what that tournament is, it's the WWF Junior Heavyweight, uh, tit- like, title series. Um, yeah, I mean, it, they actually had a bunch of, like, WWF, like, junior title tournaments back then so gotcha it is not part of i i I get why he brings it up but it's also not part of the super junior canon you know it's not the same tournament yeah but anyway so um cool yeah uh, i love this match i actually like this match the most out of all the matches we've reviewed uh this week that, so I, I'm higher. I'm very high on it. Four and a half. Yeah, I'm four and a half as well. This is one of my favorite matches that we review. This is tied with another match that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But this is definitely no, it's not for me. It is <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely a high class main event final here. Definitely worth a watch if you have not watched it yet. So that takes us to 2012, where we have another 18 man. Uh, block or 18-man tournament with two blocks from May 27th to June 10th. Outsiders this year, we have Alex Kovlos from the American Indies. We have Angel De Oro from CMLL, Brian Kendrick from American Indies, Daisuke Sasaki from as a freelancer. We have Pack from Dragon Gate. Uh, Black Tiger earned his spot in the tournament by winning the Road to Super Junior two-day tournament on April 15th, 2012. On May 9th, New Japan announced that Davey Richards had to pull out of the tournament following his, doctor, following his doctor's orders after a car accident, and he was replaced by Brian Kendrick. On May 25th, New Japan announced that Black Tiger had been pulled from the tournament two days after the character's performer, Kazuyoshi Nosawa, had been arrested for smuggling marijuana. He was replaced by Hiromu Takahashi, and tagline for this event was the door to glory. So, Jungboy, tell us the, the A block and B block participants here. 
Yep, so in the A block, we have Gato, Bushi, Kushida, Taichi, Rocky Romero, Jushin Thunder Liger, Angel De Oro, Prince Debit, and Pac. And then in the B block, we had Hiromu Takahashi, Jado, Daisuke Sasaki, Taka Michinoku, Tiger Mask 4, Alex Kozlov, Brian Kendrick, Ryazuki Taguchi, and Loki. So um, quite a few names you should be familiar with at this point. Yeah, and once again, lineup might not be as strong as maybe the last two years, but still a great lineup here. Once again, you look at the names, you know, you got the, the Bastard Pack in here, um, and uh, there's a lot of great names coming into this tournament here. Alex well, Kozlov, think, Kendrick, Loki. Well, I think what you're starting to see is uh, the difference in a New Japan that has a junior division versus a New Japan that needed to rely on outsiders to round out their junior division, right. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you're kind of seeing the building blocks here. I mean, look at all these names of guys that are still strong going with the company versus the last couple of years. A lot of those names, it's cool to see them there. It's kind of a novelty, but like most of those names previously were not like, they're not still with the company, but you know, as of, you know, 2012, they, most of these names still are. Right. And once again, we still have the A1, B2, B1, A2 format. So in the semifinals, the A1 was Pac, and he takes on Rusuke Gucci. And then the B1 is Loki, who takes on the A2 Prince Devitt. So Taguchi defeats Pac. Loki defeats Devitt. So we have Taguchi going into the finals once again to take on the current IWGP Junior Champion at the time, Loki. Yeah, and if you look at that that point total there, Loki with 16 points uh, defeated every single competitor, including Taguchi, going into the finals. So, you know, those 16 points plus the win over um, Prince Devitt, he's the reigning champion, and he's going in undefeated to the finals against Taguchi. Uh, if if he were to win, that would make him only the second man ever in history after Jushin Thunder Liger in 2001 to, you know, win the entire tournament undefeated. Yeah, and that would, that would have been an incredible feat. The only difference was uh, Liger only had six matches in that tournament, and in this one he had, you know, nine so far. This would have been his tenth, so, you know, basically 20 points at the, when it was all said and done. Yeah, so uh, give us a little bit of background on Loki coming into this tournament. Okay, so Loki, if uh, you are not familiar with him, um, I highly recommend that you get familiar with him. So um, Loki, professional wrestler, uh, Italian and Puerto Rican descent. Um, You know, he's been known by many names in the past. Not only Loki, he's also been known by the names of Senshi as well as Caval in the WWE. Um, you know, his background is very renowned. I mean, he's one of like the all time great, uh, early two thousands, uh, independent wrestlers of that time period. I mean, he's held, he's a one time PWG world champion. He was the inaugural, uh, ring of honor world champion, one time MLW world heavyweight champion. Um, he held the NWA world tag team titles three times and a ton of other championships and, um, you know, tournament wins on the independent circuits. He also was uh, part of the second season of NXT in 2010. And, you know, not only has he worked in, for New Japan and, uh, you know, over in the in Japan, he also worked for, you know, Wrestling Zero One, 
uh, amongst other Japanese companies. I mean, you know, uh, very, very well traveled. Uh, he started in 1998 under the name Low Key. Uh, he began his wrestling career with uh, Jersey All Pro Wrestling, which was like one of the big companies uh, in the Northeast at the time. Um, all throughout the 2000s, you know, he worked the American Indies. Uh, he was in the inaugural Ring of Honor uh, main event and kind of just made his name uh, in Ring of Honor. He kind of pioneered like the MMA fight style of wrestling uh, that was very popular in that time and kind of like pioneered what they call American strong style wrestling as well. So while a lot of, uh, you know, during that same time period, like 2002, 2003 over in Japan, a lot of people are doing like the shoot style stuff. He was doing something that's more akin to what you would see in like the never division today. Uh, a lot more similar to that. And yeah, I mean, Loki was the man. I mean, he wrestled all over, you know, he was in TNA, he was in Ring of Honor. He was one of the big names of that time period. Uh, you know, wrestled in NOAA. Uh, you know, I also think he might have, I, I, I don't think he won the GHC title, but I know he challenged uh, Kenta for it when he was in the middle of his title reign. But yeah, I mean, Loki was very, very well-traveled. He was all over, you know, the world. And then eventually, by this time period, he made his way over, to New Japan and, you know, uh, coming off that NXT, that failed NXT WWE run, you know, made his way to Japan and, you know, they did right by him and made him the junior champion. Yeah. And if you remember, you know, a couple of weeks ago in the final countdown, as we're in the mid two thousands, Loki's a name that Dave brings up in the observer. He's like, you know, they need to bring in some new talent, some fresh talent somebody like a Loki, you know, Dave's mentioning this guy in the early 2000s because Loki's just blazing a trail, ripping up the American Indies. He's killing it in Ring of Honor, killing it in TNA and really making a name for himself. And definitely one of my favorite wrestlers of that time period. I do know that uh, he was also teaming with Homicide uh, and challenged Taguchi and Devitt for the junior titles when they were doing that, uh, that jersey, the, Jersey All Pro Wrestling uh, tour that they, when New Japan made their first, the, uh, the Invasion tour in 2011, they had a title challenge against Apollo 55. Nice. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, Loki, Loki was the man, you know, at that time period. Nice. So, what do you think about this matchup here with Loki and Taguchi? I, I liked it a lot. Um, I thought there was a lot to to like kind of sink my teeth into here uh the the again the Corkin crowd so into Taguchi yeah you know a, a lot of people and you know it's funny because like we talk about big match Taguchi but I think like I'm not as familiar with all of his work from that time period but I, I bet you like back like back then big match Taguchi was just Taguchi yeah <laughs> <laughs> like he was pretty great um not that he isn't still great but like to see him work young, he, he was just really, really, really good. And then, um, you know, to kind of see him go against Loki, Loki's just a monster here, man. I mean, he's been, you know, completely undefeated in this tournament. He's the reigning champion. Um, you know, he's got everything going for him. Plus like, he's just a crusher. Like his strikes are just so devastating. He's a scary guy. And, um, you know, everything's pretty much stacked against Taguchi. And I, I love when there's an underdog story in a wrestling match. That's exactly what this was. 
Yeah, overall, I enjoyed the match. It was a very good matchup. I was a little bit disappointed um, just kind of coming off of the previous year's final and how great that match was with Taguchi. And then me being such a huge low-key fan, um, this match didn't reach quite the heights I thought it was going to reach. But saying that, I still think it was a very good match. I ended up going uh, 3.75 on it. And like you mentioned, Young boy, there is this kind of underdog story of Taguchi going against the current champ, Loki, who just, you know, essentially this is almost like the, the Will Ospreay-Shingo matchup in a way where Loki-Shingo, and just he, he destroyed his block, and now you have the, the underdog kind of coming in, and it looks like he has no chance. Yeah, I mean, um, one thing I really loved about this match and what stuck out to me was Loki's selling. So uh, there's a moment um, in the middle of the match. Uh, basically, Loki introduces a table. It ends up backfiring on him. Um, you know, as we're very, you know, as often is the case, someone brings out a weapon. They usually end up being the one who go through it. And um, Taguchi hits a dodon and puts him, uh, tries to put him through the table. The table doesn't budge because it's a strong style table. I am the table. <laughs> And um, but from that point forward, Loki had pretty much been if 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 my memory serves me, he pretty much was in control of the whole match up right. until that point for the most well, part. As soon as the bell rang, he blitzed Taguchi at the very beginning and was on him from getting the bell with forearms and uppercuts and chops. And then I mean, to, he had moments of, of like hope spots and success, but like it seemed like the match was mainly like. Loki was in control, right? Yeah, and before that table spot, there was a spot where Loki hit him with a spinning back fist that was so hard that the doctors oh, came to yeah. check on Taguchi after the back fist. Yeah, Taguchi's eye swelled up, and he had like a little tiny hematoma kind of growing over his eye. It, it was more bruised than swollen, but it was a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he smacked the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> But um, once once the uh, you know Taguchi hits the dodon onto the table, obviously that's his finish, and obviously the table doesn't budge. Loki just spends the rest of the match selling his his ribs, whether he's effectively hitting moves and then having to sell it because of what it's costing him to hit those moves, or whether he's taking offense and. He's just great here, man. Like he's really. I am a little surprised he went three seven five. I'm a little higher. I actually. Uh, I thought this match was a solid four star fare. Uh, maybe even four and a quarter. I thought it was really, really, really good. Um, I could see why you'd kind of be down on it. I think part of it is just like you like Loki so much. Right. And it wasn't like his best performance ever, but I thought there was some stuff that I thought was really good. Right. And I think it was just the role that he was in. Obviously, he's like, like we mentioned, he's like the juggernaut champion here. He's, he bulldozed everybody else. He's trying to bulldoze Taguchi here. And so, again, he's playing that juggernaut role. This is not supposed to be like a high spot, super indie match. This is like a dominant champion that's trying to knock off the last guy here and, you know, win the tournament. So, being that, I kind of understand why this wasn't, you know, the high-level, low-key match that I was picturing. Yeah, I just think for me personally, once that table spot occurred, the match really jumped to a new gear, and it was really, really good. Um, there was one point where he goes, 
where Loki goes for a key crusher and Taguchi reverses it into a small package. And I was like, I bid on that a little bit. Yeah. And then um, he hits a capo kick and then a key crusher that just murders Taguchi. I, I thought, yeah, I thought that was it. Cause you know, the key crusher, that was, I thought it was it too. That was one of his big finishes during that time period. I was like, Oh, key crusher. That's it. Uh, Loki's winning this thing. But then Taguchi that's kicks right. out. I just said the same thing. And plus he hit it so nasty. Um, and then, yeah, when Taguchi kicks out, he's showing fighting spirit. And it's at that moment where Loki realizes I need something extra to put this guy away. I, like I hit him with my big move. And he goes to the top and he tries a Phoenix splash, which if you'll remember the year prior was the move that he, that uh, Kota Ibushi used to defeat Taguchi. So long-term, long-term uh, storytelling. Yeah. Um, Dude, I didn't even know Loki could do a Phoenix splash. I don't think I've ever in my years of watching Loki ever seen him do a Phoenix splash before. I don't remember. I, I, I'm not surprised he was able to do it but i've don't remember i'm the same way i don't remember him ever doing it but uh this time taguchi moves out of the way hits a tiger suplex near fall hits a dodon loki kicks out of the dodon and i was like oh my god and then he picks him up hits him with another dodon for the win and ryazuki taguchi is the new best super juniors tournament champion yeah and so this is the fifth year in a row where the previous year's runner-up, uh, this time on Series Kataguchi, would become the would come back and win the tournament. Uh, and Taguchi would go on to unsuccessfully challenge Loki though for the title at Dominion on June sixteenth of that year. He would go on to, however, become the 69th IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I like this match a lot. I also like the story that like Loki came through there, rampaged everybody, and then lost in the finals. Uh, yeah, it was really good. Then going to the observer here, Dave says Rich Gataguchi beat Pack in the semifinals and IWGP Junior Champion Loki in the finals on June 10th at Corken Hall in Tokyo to win Best of the Super Junior Tournament. The win set up Loki versus Taguchi for the title on New Japan Six Pay Per View Show. On June 16th in Osaka, Taguchi, 33, took the tournament for the first time after losing to Kota Ibushi in last year's championship match. Last year was the first time he had reached the finals. Very good match, but this was not on the same level as some of the finals in years past. Three and a half. So uh, Uncle Dave and I were kind of in the same range there. Man, fuck Dave Meltzer. (laughs) Four stars. All right, any last thoughts on 2012? Nah, let's talk about Best Super Juniors 2013. Yep, so this year we're back down to um, a smaller block here. So this is the 20th Best of Super Juniors tournament. It was announced on March 28th of 2013 and took place over 10 shows between May 24th and June 9th. The participants were announced on uh, May 3rd. Outside entrants included Beretta from the American Indies, Brian Kendrick from American Indies, Kenny Omega from DDT, Ricochet from Dragon Gate, Teton from CMLL. Rishi Gaguchi, who originally won the B block here, was sidelined with a hip injury following too many too many hip attacks. <laughs> following June 6th, and was replaced in his semifinal match by Taka Michinoku, who had finished third in the block. So, young boy, tell us who all was in these different blocks here. 
So in the A block, we had Hiromu Takahashi, Teton, Beretta, Chushin Thunder Liger, Rocky Romero, Taichi, Ricochet, Alex Shelley, and Prince Devitt. And then in the B block, we had Jado, Bushi, Tiger Mask 4, Brian Kendrick, Alex Kozlov, Kushida, Taka Michinoku, Kenny Omega, and Ryuzuki Taguchi. Yeah, once again, just another solid lineup here. In the last few years, we're seeing these rotating names from CMLL, you know, coming in and out of these tournaments. Uh, we, we got we got Ricochet coming in now from Dragon Gate. Alex Shelley, um, who was teaming with Kushida at the time with the Time Splitters. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of great guys coming into this thing. You notice uh, DDT don't let their top stars come to this tournament anymore. Cause Look what happens. They come, they, they be in the tournament, and then we'll snatch them up. <laughs> yep. Snatched. Uh, but, uh. And uh, once again here, still using the A1, B2, uh, B, B1, uh, A2 format here. So for A1, we had Prince Devitt, who won the block 16 points. Uh, he was the current IWGP Junior Champion at the time. He defeated Kenny Omega. In the semifinals to get to the finals, and then on the other other side, Ritsuki Gucci won the B block. But like I mentioned, he had to withdraw from the tournament due to an injury. So then it went down to the B three, which was Takamichi Noku, who finished with eight points, and Takamichi Noku lost to Alex Shelley. So that gave us a final of. Alex Shelley versus Prince Devitt, both these guys from the A block. So this is a rematch from a match we would have seen earlier on in the tournament. So, young boy, give us a little background on Alex Shelley coming into this tournament. Yeah. So, um, Alex Shelley, um, another mainstay of the American independent scene in the early 2000s. Um, Alex Shelley is from Detroit, Michigan, uh, my place of birth. And that um, is notable because that is where the derivative of the name for his famous tag team with Chris Sabin is hailed from, the Motor City Machine Guns. Um, you know, he first gained fame in, uh, you know, working on the American independent circuit, working for Ring of Honor, as well as TNA. And then in Japan, he worked uh, Zero One Max before coming over to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, um, Alex Shelley started in 2002, uh, you know, started with uh, Border City Wrestling and then um, made his debut in 2002 under the name Alex Shelley and... Uh, I guess his name is kind of like derived from Clockwork Orange, which kind of like plays a lot into like his persona with his wrestling attire and everything of that nature. But um, yeah, I mean, worked his way through the, you know, Ring of Honor, had a long storied career there as well as TNA. And uh, in New Japan had quite a bit of success. He was a tag team partner alongside uh, Kushida. They were known as the Time Splitters. They would go on to win the IWGP Junior Tag Team titles on three separate occasions. Um, his first early appearances in New Japan were like in 2009, uh, 2010, uh, but would you know start working there a lot more consistency beginning in 2012 up to 2015. And the majority of that success was with Kushida as a member of the Time Splitters. Nice. So yeah, we're here. Uh, the final Devitt versus Shelley Cork and Hall 
And uh, Devitt is in the Bullet Club at this point, leading the Bullet Club. Like I mentioned, he's the IWGP champion going into this match. So what do you think of Devitt versus Shelley? Well, I think it's notable to note that going into this match, um, Prince Devitt is quite a bit different than the other two occasions where we've seen him in the finals. Uh, this is a post-Bullet Club debit, which means everything has changed. Um, his look has changed. His attitude has changed. So Prince Devitt is now the leader of the Bullet Club. They formed uh, in the early part, I believe. Did they form in 2013 or 2012? I think it was 2013, I think. Okay. I think it was earlier uh, this year. He, yeah, it was in May. So they formed in May of 2013. So, you know, we're only in what, June? So this tournament is happening um, from May 24th to June 9th. So they, they formed that month. Yeah, so they had like literally just formed and already they're like this big force to be reckoned with. So, uh, you know, Devitt comes into the ring. He's the IWGP junior champion. Not only that, he has, like Loki the year prior, defeated every single competitor that he's faced in the tournament. So he's going into this match undefeated. And, um, you know, he's accompanied to the ring by the entire Bullet Club. So he's got Bad Luck Fale with him, Carl Anderson, Tamatanga, um, and interesting... On the other end of things, Shelly is also um, accompanied by um, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Captain New Japan, and Kushida. So, you know, for the majority of these tournament matches, we have been seeing where all of the tournament competitors have been ringside. But in this year, it kind of changes where we've got Bullet Club on one side of things, then Sekigun on the other side of things. And that would be a huge... Uh, you know, determinant to the tone and, you know, the, how the match would play out as, you know, for the next couple of years, that's how most bull club big, you know, main title matches would be. Yeah, man. So let's get into it. So beginning of this match was shenanigans, man. The bullet club shenanigans that everybody complains about. We had constant interference from Fale, Tamatanga, Carl Anderson, constantly, Attacking Shelly, pulling him out the ring, distracting Red Shoes so uh, Devitt could cheat. Um, and, and the most annoying thing about the whole thing was, like you mentioned, Shelly's accompanied by Tanahashi, New, Captain New Japan, and Kushida. And they're, not, they're not doing anything. They're, they're watching Shelly get beat up, and instead of helping, they're like yelling at Red Shoes half the time and just kind of like standing there while Bullet Club is taking full advantage. That's because they're trying to preserve the, the uh, sanctity of the Super Juniors Finals. You know, they didn't want to. They didn't want to alter the uh, outcome of it or play too big a role. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I, I think I think the Bull Club was just too smart for them. Like, if you noticed, they took a um, kind of an approach where like Tama would be on one part of the ring and then Folly would be on the other end of the ring. And then, obviously, Devitt's on the inside. So, like, when stuff would happen, like, Red Shoes would try to admonish one guy, another guy would cheat, another guy would cheat. Like, they were, like, dividing up the whole entire arena into quadrants. You know, the truth of the matter is um, I kind of liked the cheating at first. Like, I understand why 
you know, you hear a lot of people, well, A, this is kind of different from what you had seen. It's not that there wasn't cheat, like foreign, foreigners in New Japan cheat. There's There's been a lot of cases of that. Uh, also, big heel groups cheat in New Japan. So, I mean, that sort of thing's been going on forever. But what's different is with the Bullet Club, they would cheat in these big match environments where, like, in other cases, that didn't really happen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, the Super Juniors, like, we've reviewed every Super Juniors final, and, like, there's never been any sort of outside interference, like, of any sort. And then suddenly, like, you have a final here that is just, like, rampant with it. And in a way, I kind of liked it in in a vacuum at first because I was like, oh, the cheating is really smart and the atmosphere is really cool and the crowd is really into it. And the other interesting thing is the crowd is so into Devitt regardless of the fact that he's cheating or a heel. Like, they, they don't care. They still want to, like, get behind him. But then it kind of goes into, like, a realm of, like, they're overdoing it too much to a point to where, like, in an 18-minute match, like, nine minutes, maybe ten minutes of it is, like, the outside cheating, the shenanigans, and the brawling between the two sides. It's, like, kind of not a fitting – It's it was very disappointing. It's not really, like, a fitting Super Junior Final, in my opinion. Right, especially when you have two super talented guys like Prince Devitt and Alex Shelley. If left to their own devices, they could have had – a really great final match if the shenanigans were turned down a little bit. So, yeah, it was disappointing from that end. Um, dude, there was one spot here where Shelly goes for a plancha and Fale catches him, but then Fale, like, and, trips. And, yeah. He trips and yeah. ends up power slamming him on all these chairs. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, in a way, it was, like, kind of one of the most awesome botches ever. Like, because it kind of looked cool, but it also looked awful at the same time. Right. Uh, I was just glad that Shelly was okay. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Um, and there, that's um, when, um, yeah, like I mentioned, the NJPW guys were still just kind of, you know, just watching and yelling at Red Shoes at that point um, until eventually um, – we get um, Devin goes for a suicide dive, or Shelly throws Devin outside, but he ends up hitting a suicide dive on Anderson. And then to, uh, Tanahashi, Captain New Japan, and Kushida finally decide to help, and there's like a big, huge brawl outside. Yeah, and the the thing with the cheating is like it was very rampant in that era of the Bull Club. Fans kind of hated it. Like, there was a lot of complaining from, you know, traditional diehard, like, New Japan fans who just didn't really appreciate that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I could see why, because this was just one match, and I could tolerate it in a vacuum. But, you know, I remember, like, it got to a point where, like, every big Kenny match, until, like, Kenny was in the G1, it was, like, Every Kenny match, like, oh, here we go. The Bucks are underneath the ring. Oh, they're going to use cold spray. Like, every AJ match, it's like, oh, my God. It, you know, you had, like, 20 guys following him out to ring. Like, it got a little bit over the top. Like, it was kind of overdone. And here we are in 2013, and they were still doing that even in the early days. So um, I think the, the big thing to keep in mind here, though, is that this match – even though it's prestigious because it's a super junior final, really the star of the match is Prince Devitt. 
the story here is the fact that he's the leader of this new uh, faction. He's gone in undefeated. And the idea is that they're setting him up for bigger and better things. So it's almost like they they treated this year's Super Junior Finals like a stepping stone to bigger storylines for him within the company um, and kind of sacrificed, you know, what the best super juniors kind of has represented for a lot of other juniors in the past. Right. And at this time he's, he's feuding with Tanahashi. So he's, he's a junior kind of uh, feuding with a heavyweight. So he definitely had to be made look strong being launched into this feud and, you know, getting ready to have matches with heavyweights. Well, I don't think they were feuding yet, but I think like they might have started to just because the bullet club was like a threat to, New Japan and you know Tanahashi is like the defender or whatever, mm-hmm. but um, they had had matches like in the G One previous to this as well as like the uh, the anniversary show, but that was a pre Bullet Club Prince Devitt, and so he's already shown his aspirations to be like um, a heavyweight star in the past. And now with this uh, you know unit behind him, it kind of changes things. Um, I thought the, the when the wrestling actually did occur between Shelley and Devitt, it was really good, but there just wasn't enough of it to like sink my teeth into. And the the one unfortunate thing here was like Devitt and Taguchi was supposed to actually be the finale here, right? Right. So due to the hip injury, Taguchi had to fall out, and but if Taguchi was healthy, he would have ended up beating Shelley in that other semifinal to get to the finals here. Gotcha. Yeah. So I mean, um, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate because like Alex Shelley, sort of, you're looking at like who all is here, and it's like, yeah, they would have probably done a different final had Taguchi been healthy. We probably ended up with Devitt and Taguchi. Which keep in mind, Taguchi is the man that Devitt turned on his longtime Apollo Fifty Five partner to form the bullet club. So that would have kind of been a more fitting finale. And instead Alex Shelley's kind of given this uh, opportunity, which is great, but then it's this clusterfuck of a match. And then one last thing, it really got to a point at first. I liked the cheating, but then it got so overdone that I was like, dude, red shoes, are you going to like do anything? Right. And like, Nowadays, Red Shoes will take control pretty quickly if he feels like he needs to. But, like, back then, he just, like, let it go and let it go. I mean, it was, like, he let it go for – and then, like, he didn't throw the guys out at first. Like, eventually he did, but, like, he took a really long time doing it. Nowadays, he would just, like, throw him the finger and then, like, tell him to get out. Right. But, like, he didn't, like, take control. And I was like, this is getting out of hand. I I don't know. Yeah, it literally was like, yeah, like nine, ten minutes. So finally that big brawl broke out. And he was like, all right, you guys need to get out of here. And he threw uh, the Bullet Club out of the match. And then we finally got Shelly and Devitt wrestling for a little bit here. And like you mentioned, once they started wrestling, it it was pretty good action um, for a little bit that they actually did wrestle. Yeah, the one thing that I didn't necessarily like was, so Devitt um, undoes a corner pad and then um, basically at a certain point um, Alex Shelley gets thrown into the exposed buckle and then from there Devitt does the Trouble in Paradise and then the Reverse Bloody Sunday to win, which sounds good in theory because it's like, oh, you know, he's the reverse, you know, the, the exposed buckle to, to beat him. 
and that kind of protects uh, Shelly. But like just a little bit before that, Devitt went into the exposed buckle, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm like, if the exposed buckle is so devastating, then how come when Devitt went into it, uh, Alex Shelley wasn't able to like capitalize on it. And instead, you know, Alex Shelley was in control. He's hitting all this stuff and then he gets thrown into it. But like Devitt's like able to capitalize when Alex Shelley is, is not, I don't know. I, I thought that was kind of weak, but I, I get why they did it. Cause like Prince Devitt was the guy that they were pushing. Like they're, you know, kind of trying to set him up as the leader of this unit. Right. So, yeah, um, ultimately, um, Prince Devitt wins. The crowd is happy because regardless of the fact that he's a cheater and everything, like, they still love him. (laughs) The the Corkin crowd is totally behind him, and Prince Devitt wins the tournament. He does it undefeated. He cuts this great promo afterwards talking about how, you know, he's going to be going into the heavyweight division as the junior champion and Tanahashi is the next guy that, you know, he's got his eye set on and, you know, we kind of go from there. Yeah. So like we mentioned, Evan becomes the, only the second wrestler to win all of his tournament matches. Like we mentioned, uh, Liger did it previously in 2001, but like we mentioned, his tournament only comprised of six matches where debits comprised of 10 um, so we have a lot of observer notes here. So let's uh, kind of go back and forth with the paragraphs. I'll start, and then we can kind of go back and forth here. So Dave says, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Fergal Prince Devitt, 31, became only the second wrestler in the history of the best of the Super Junior Tournament to go undefeated through the tournament and win the finals. Uh, the question is whether this was planned to happen as Devitt went 8 no during the round-robin phase to win the B-block. It appeared the tournament was headed for a showdown between Devitt and longtime tag team partner Rizuki Taguchi, who he had turned on earlier this year. However, earlier in the day of the finals, which took place on 6-9 at Tokyo's Corkin Hall, it was announced that Taguchi, who had won the A-block, had suffered a hip injury and was out of the Final Four and replaced by Takamichi Noku. On one hand, it doesn't make sense in a tournament where the main role is to create the next top contender for the title for the champion to win, let alone not even lose one match that could build a future title match. However, Devitt is booked in the semifinals of New Japan's next pay-per-view show, Dominion, on June 22nd at Osaka Furitsu Gym against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Devitt has claimed he will uh, first beat Tanahashi, uh, Tanahashi, the company's top star, and then he wants a shot at IWGP heavyweight champion Kazushika Okada. You can argue if that is the direction they're going, that Devitt needed to blast through the junior heavyweight ranks to be seen as a viable contender. But it would be a huge surprise for Devitt to beat Tanahashi to begin with. The match stemmed from Devitt uh, doing a a beatdown angle on Tanahashi on May 3rd, wrestling Dantaka pay-per-view show from Fukuoka and creating the Bullet Club with Carl Anderson, Tamatanga, and Bad Luck Fale. And it would have been just as viable if Devitt would have won nine matches in a row before losing to Taguchi, promoting his expected rival. With Taguchi out and Alex Shelley going into the finals instead, Devitt went over, joining Jushin Liger in 2001 as the only wrestler to go and beat in the round robin and win the championship. Liger went 5-0 and and then beat Minoru Tanaka in the finals. Devitt, who previously won the tournament in 2010, pinned Kenny Omega in the semifinals before beating Shelley in the finals. He is the first foreigner to win the tournament twice and joins only Jushin Thunder Liger, Tiger Mask, and Koji Kanemoto as two-time winners. 
it's it was the first time in history of the tournament, which dates back to 1988, that no Japanese wrestler was in the finals. Clearly, that was not the original plan. Shelley had beaten replacement Michinoku in the semifinals, which even though Shelley would have uh, would be expected under normal circumstances to win such a match, nobody thought a foreigner versus foreigner final was going to happen. Michinoku had seemingly been eliminated. Uh, on June 6, when he lost to Jado in the final round robin match, finishing four and four, he was tied with Tiger Mask, Kushida, Alex Kozlov, and Brian Kendrick for the third place, but advanced to the final four uh, based on having the best head head counts. The first ten minutes had some good wrestling and a lot of outside interference from the Bull Club. It looked really stupid because the Bull Club was beating on Shelley, and Shelley's seconds were standing there doing nothing. Finally, at the 10-minute mark, Tanahashi kept New Japan, and Kushida came out and turned it into a big brawl. The ref threw everyone out of ringside. It would have made sense to have this spot to build for Taguchi's win. There was a ref bump, and Devitt tried to use a belt shot, but Shelly ducked it and nailed him. Shelly went to DT Devitt on the belt, but he landed two feet away from the belt. The rest of the match was excellent with super heat and all the near falls. The crowd was completely behind Shelly going for the upset, 3.75. Um, it's not three point seven five. <laughs> I, I want three and a half. Yeah, I'd go three and a half on that. Um, the other thing too is I think Dave is very off on his idea of the booking. I don't think they planned to give Taguchi two Super Junior title wins back to back. Like to me, it seemed very clear that they were doing a. Uh, Devitt and Tanahashi feud and they need to make him look viable like he mentioned so when he talks about like the it's funny because like he talks about the argument he's like well you could argue but then he talks himself out of it entirely I'm like no you, you were right there that's exactly what they were planning to do like this dude went undefeated he's the champion and they need to make him look viable so he can you know wrestle heavyweights which is exactly what they did so right. I think he's I think he's wrong. Like I think the whole reason that the Bullet Club was going to be there, and keep in mind this would have been the first major matchup between Taguchi and Devitt. You think Taguchi's beating Devitt in their first major matchup? No way. Come on, come on. That's that is not the way they booked or or even booked. So like I, I think he's way off. Yeah, that definitely made total sense to have Devitt win here. So even if it was Taguchi, Devitt would have beat him, and it would have been the same. I think it would have been the same layout of the match. Uh, it was more heat because it's the former partners and he turned on him earlier in the month. Yeah. Devitt cheats. He uses the exposed turnbuckle to beat his former partner. Plus all the shenanigans. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's uh, 2013. So let's talk about 2014, which to me is like the new era of super junior finals which i think is like the kickoff starting point for like what becomes the true renaissance of super junior finals yes so uh the 2014 uh, best of super junior tournament was officially announced on march 14th of 2014 and took place may 30th uh, to june 8th the participants were announced on may 4th for outsider in, uh entrants included kenny omega from ddt mascara dorada from cmll and Ricochet from Dragon Gate. For the first time in four years, the reigning IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion did not take part in the tournament as Kota Ibushi was concentrating on chasing the Never Openweight Championship. 
Alex Kozlov dislocated his uh, left soldier in his first match against Ricochet on May 30th and was forced to pull out of the tournament, forfeiting all of his matches. Alex Shelley won B-block of the tournament, was forced to pull out of the semifinals after suffering a shoulder injury in his final round-robin match. As a result, Taichi would finish third in the block and advance to the semifinals. So young boy, give us the A and B-block uh, participants here. Yep, so... Um... Let me take a look here. So in the A block, we had Alex Kozlov, who withdrew, Jushin Thunder Liger, Mascara Dorada, Bushi, Matt Jackson, Takamichinoku, Ricochet, and Kushida. And then in the B block, we had Rocky Romero, El Desperado, Tiger Mask 4, Kenny Omega, Nick Jackson, Taichi, Ryazuki Taguchi, and Alex Shelley, who had to withdraw. So once again, we're starting to see less outsiders because New Japan is building, have been building their junior division, and, and what you see, we're, we're seeing you know guys like Taichi kind of rise to the top. They've had Taguchi, Kashiya's rising to the top here. There, there's Bushi that's there. I mean, Liger's still here. We have uh, Desperado that's coming up. We have Rocky Romero. Um, at this point, Kenny Omega was pretty much, even though he was DT, still doing a lot of New Japan dates. So there's a lot of guys that they've been kind of building up that are featured here in this tournament. Yeah, and also this is around the time where mo- all of the um, remaining Super Junior finals and the majority of the actual Super Juniors themselves are record kept on new japan world so we're kind of entering into the new japan world era here where we can like actually see the whole tournaments in real time very easily and the fact of the matter is we've been talking about um super juniors being held in um you know cork and hall for way too long they finally go out of cork and hall and they go to the to me what's the much more familiar yoyogi um what was the name of this place? Yoyogi National. Yoyogi, uh, National. Yeah, and that that to me, for you know, um, obviously the last two years they haven't had it there, but 2014, 15, 16, and and 17. So like for four years straight, that's where they had the finals, and I really like this setting as being like the place where they hold the uh, Super Junior Finals. And I think, hopefully, if everything goes back to normal, I think most likely they were planning to go back there uh, in 2020. So, you know, this is a, a very, very different atmosphere than, say, Cork and Hall, and I prefer it as, like, the, you know, where they hold the Super Junior Finals. Yeah. So, once again, in this tournament, we're still using this, uh, you know, the A1, um, B2, B2, A2 format here to get the semifinals and the finals. Um, so the A1 was uh, Kushida, so he ended up winning the A block and had to face off against uh, Taichi, who was the, the B3. And then Rishke Taguchi was the B2, and he ended up facing the A2, which was Ricochet. So Kushida defeated Taichi, and then Ricochet defeated Taguchi, and we got our final of the top two guys in the A block, Kushida and Ricochet. Yeah. So we have um, two newcomers to the finals of Best Super Juniors, and not only that, two relative outsiders, um, you know, as far as their backgrounds when it comes to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, so kind of starting here, so we'll start with, uh, you know, Yujiro Kushida, 
who uh, wrestles under the name Kushida. Um, he actually made his start training with uh, Nobuhiko Takata uh, out of Takata's dojo while he was in junior high school. And believe it or not, a lot of people don't know this, Kushida's background is in MMA. So he started right, uh, started fighting in 2003 for the Zist promotion, um, winning like a lightweight tournament for them. And then in 2005, he retired. Now, this is notable because Zist is actually the, um, the follow-up promotion to Rings. So when Akira Maeda um, left UWFI, he started the Rings promotion Eventually, that turned from pro wrestling into MMA, into Zist, which gave us Kushida. So thank you, Akira Maiden, <laughs> Nobuhiko Takata, because you guys gave us Kushida. But um, yeah, he fought um, for them till about 2005, and then um, he actually started wrestling under the name Ujiro in 2005 in Mexico as a lucha, you know, as a luchador in 2006, he, um, signed with uh, hustle, which was Nobuhiko Takata's promotion. So he wrestled for them for a while and then, um, made stops in all Japan pro wrestling and Osaka pro through 2007, 2008. Uh, he did tours in North America in like 2009, 2010. So, and then eventually made his way to a home promotion, uh, smash throughout, uh, the early 2000, you know, 2010 era. So when he started working for New Japan, he was, you know, working for Smash. And prior to that, as you can see, he was a very well-traveled freelancer all throughout, you know, Japanese, you know, junior heavyweight wrestling. So uh, very, very different path for Kushida. I think because he eventually becomes a junior ace, most people assume that a guy like Kushida was like a, you know, like a New Japan Dojo product, but he, he absolutely was not. Uh, at all um, uh, what year was this this was 2014 yes okay so yeah I mean he started with New Japan in uh, 2010 and you know by the time that this tournament comes up he's been with them for about four years so you know that and you know most of his major success was with the time splitters as we mentioned earlier him and uh, Alex Shelley uh, throughout this time period um, on the other side of things we have Ricochet um, you know his birth name Trevor Mann um, people who watched Lucha Underground might know him as Prince Puma uh, people who watched WWE know him as Jobber uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um yeah, Ricochet is a former three-time IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Champion and a former three-time Never Openweight Six-Man Tag Champion. And, um, you know, he kind of started in Japan with Dragon Gate. Uh, he also, you know, I mean, very, very, very notable for his work, uh, you know, on the American independent scene. He actually started out in, like, 2003 when he was very, very young. Um and he just he wrestled like literally everywhere, um, but some of the more notable like uh, places where he worked was like Jakara, PWG. Um, those are like probably like the two big places. Dragon Gate USA um, did work in Mexico, but eventually, and then Evolve obviously as well. So I mean like high profile like name all throughout the early 2000 2010s and then eventually made his way you know to japan working for dragon gate which kind of became the gateway for him to work in new japan 
Um, you know, and then in 2014, at this point, I don't think him or Kushida have held the junior title up to this point at all. So, you know, it's, you know, two guys who've had very long traveled paths um, to, to get to where they're at. It's almost sort of like two sides of the same coin. You've got like one guy, you know, through the Japanese independence and another guy in the American independence. And they're both kind of like looking a name, looking to make a name for themselves going into this match. Yep. So let's talk about this match. Cheetah uh, and Ricochet. So, um, interesting enough, I've seen this match a number of times. I've always in my mind heralded it as like one of, if not like the best, Super Junior Finals, or one of them, I remember it that way, and I, I felt like at the time it was like getting all this praise. Um, I still loved the match, but it didn't fully live up to my expectations on what I remember of the match. Uh, you know, what were what were your thoughts? You know, kind of give us your breakdown. Yeah, overall, I really loved this match. I went four and a half on this match, and it. Um, kind of tied with me with the Taguchi Ibushi final. Um, Ricochet was excellent here. Uh, this is you know, prime Ricochet flipping all over the place. Um, Kushida, like you mentioned, he has that MMA background. He's you know doing a lot of submissions. He's working on the arm. He's doing a lot of different uh, Kimura variations. He's you know that hoverboard lock and um, that was a real great back and forth matchup here. Uh, crowd seem uh, pretty behind uh, Ricochet for the most part. There was some kind of split, yeah. split crowd chants, but they were really behind Ricochet. You even had some fans in the crowd chanting for Dragon Gate um, at Ricochet and during the match and stuff like that, and even after the match. Uh, but yeah, really. Did you notice that they spelled Ricochet's name wrong? Yeah, they dropped the T. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because for, for them, I guess well, that, we, that E was like a, like a harder pronunciation for them. So for them, I can see why they went, yeah, Ricochet. <laughs> yeah, I heard them chanting for Ricochet, but I like it was hard to make out the pronunciation. I was like, I wasn't sure who they were chanting for or what they were chanting. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this match is very, very, very good. And I think it's got the reputation of being a great match. And it, it absolutely is. Um, I just think that the style of the two guys kind of made for like an interesting, like I wouldn't call it bad, but I call it interesting. Like the, the, the pacing of how they wanted to wrestle is very different. You know, Ricochet wanted a high fly and I don't think you really want to sell that arm. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got Kushida who like can high fly, but like he pretty much just wants to attack the arm. Like that's the story he wants to tell. Give me your and arm. These guys are kind of, yeah, give me your arm. And these guys are kind of like on different uh, wavelengths of what they're trying to do. And even at the end when they're like doing the big offense and the crazy dives and, and the story they're telling, it's sort of like, I don't know. I don't know why I just felt this way because I've seen this match before and I've loved it in the past. But for whatever reason, this time watching it, it just like it didn't feel cohesive enough to me. It felt like two great wrestlers doing two diff two great halves of, of completely different matches from one another. And it was like, they weren't on the same page. Um, with that being the case, I still think the match is like fantastic. I just don't think it was as high as I remember it being. Cause I remember it being like four and three quarters or something like crazy like that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I could see, 
I guess I could see the disappointment if you thought it was like a four, four and three quarters and five stars, and it was a little bit lower than that. Yeah, that's that's going into it. I was like, oh yeah, I was like Ricochet and Kushida. I can't, I can't wait. I remember watching this. <laughs> um, I mean, what were what were some of the things that stuck out for you that you that you liked? Because I know you're higher than this match than I was. Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty much how a lot of the stuff that Ricochet was doing. I mean, so for the overall story of the match, Kushida's trying to work on the arm to get the hoverboard lock, um, and so he's he's doing different stuff to work the arm, different submissions, but. You, like you mentioned, you just have this, you know, super high fly offense from Ricochet. He, you know, at one point he's hitting a Sasuke special uh, to the outside. Um, see what else kind of cool things he does here. Um, dude, he, towards the end, he, he has a super GTS off the top rope. Um, does a 630 right after that for a near fall. He's doing, you know, the, the, the Jiri, you know, backhand spring elbow spot. Um, yeah, he's doing a lot of really cool, innovative moves, especially for this time um, in these junior matches. Yeah, um, I did really like the. Uh, I mean, I loved his offense, obviously, and then the the moments where there were times where Kushida, Kushida did some high flying too. I remember him doing like a top rope Hurricanrana. Yeah, he I did mean, a, people, a topic on Hilo from the top to the outside. Yeah, people sleep on Kushida and act like he doesn't high fly. Like he absolutely can. He's just not known for it the way some other guys are. Like, but um, he he got the hoverboard lock, not completely locked in most of the time. But he had some really great near falls where he was like close to locking it in. I thought those moments were great. I thought the high flying offense from uh, Ricochet was awesome. The crowd was really into this. Um, it just was like. Kinda like I mentioned, not cohesive. Like you got the one guy who's like, "I want to fly," and the other guy is like, "I want to ground you." And how do we the the transitions to the in between of the pacing of those those two different uh, stories that they're trying to tell was kind of kind of wonky to me. One thing I don't like, and I forgot about this. There's always been something I didn't like about Ricochet. There's like I've and I, I've always loved Ricochet, but I've always been like. There's one thing I didn't like about him in Japan, and I've forgot I forgot what it was. And sometimes I'll be like at work, and I'm like, "What was that thing I didn't like about Ricochet?" And I can't think of what it is. And then I remembered, it's the freaking Benadriller. I cannot mm. stand that. That's his finish. Because here's why: if he hits this dude Kushida with all this other impressive offense that looks so much better than the Benadriller, way more high octane, way more high impact, way more high risk. And then at the very end of the match, he hits him with this, like hot, this head kick. And it's like, you're a high flyer, bro. Yeah. And for you're those not, you, yeah. For those of you who don't know the Benadriller, he gets them in a fireman carry position. He throws them off and just throws them on their feet and then kicks them in the head. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me. Like it's, 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 it, it's a fine finish, I guess, but it's bro, it screams like 2010 indies to me. Right. Well, especially <laughs> and I'm like, go ahead. Well, especially what? Especially you know he's hitting like 6:30s here. He does a super go to sleep, like yes, a super go to sleep. That's can't, exactly what can't, I mean. Can't put him away, but the Benadryl does. Well, in kayfabe, Jeremy, it's because he has perfected and mastered the. The Benadriller, he knows the exact pinpoint spot on the chin mm. where to hit it to to ensure victory. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because 
I bit on all those other finishes when he hit all those big moves. I was like, oh, this is it. Oh, this is it. And then he hits the Benadriller and he pins him. And I was like, oh, fuck, that was his finish. I forgot. That was his finish. Oh, shit. And I was like, what a weak-ass finish. And that, like, a little bit brought the match down for me, too. Well, well, um, well the, the finishing sequence, though, to, to get into the Benadriller was pretty great. It's uh, awesome. Yeah, so... And, uh, the, and, 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 that's why, and that's why it's such a letdown, because they do all this incredible stuff, and then he's like, Benadriller, one, <laughs> two, three. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah, Kushida goes for uh, the back handspring, and Ricochet catches him in an electric chair drop position. Then Kushida tries to do a Hurricane Rana out of it, but then Ricochet gets him back into fireman position, and then uh, Kushida does a rolling hoverboard lock, and then Ricochet rolls out of the hoverboard lock back into the fireman carry position. Kushida fights out. Ricochet um, rolls back into fireman carry position. Kushida fights out. Ricochet hits a kick to the back of the head. Then gets him back up, hits the banner driller. One, two, three. Uh, Ricochet wins, and it's your best Super Junior winner this year. Yeah, and let me just be clear. I know that I've said some negative things here, but it's because I feel like the reputation of this match was really high, and I went in with high expectations, so I was a little disappointed. Be that as it may, the match is still probably close to four and a half. I think I went like probably four and a quarter. But if you look online, the the vast majority of people rating this match are like four and a half. So it's still like a stupendous match. Yeah, I went uh, four and a half on it as well. Uh, So we got a a bunch of observer notes here. Let's kind of go back and forth the same way we did the last one. So Ricochet uh, joined a very select group this past week of foreigners who have captured major New Japan junior heavyweight tournaments. Ricochet followed in the footsteps of only Dynamite Kid while Pegasus Crispin Wall, the second Black Tiger Eddie Guerrero, and Prince Devitt when he pinned Kushida on 6-8 at the Tokyo Yogi Gym to capture the 2014 Best of Super Junior Tournament. At 25, he was the youngest winner in tournament history, Dynamite Kid was a similar tournament, but not the names Best of Super Junior 25 at Super Juniors at 25 years and two months, while Man is 25 years and eight months. Um, Ricochet defeated Bushi on 6-6 in Kyoto to tie Kushida for first place in the A block with a 5-2 and two record. But Kushida got the actual first place position because he beat Kushida in the tournament. On June 8th, he won a quick match over B-Block winner Ryuzuki Taguchi in the semifinals and a long, outstanding match over Kushida in the finals to add to a year where he became the first foreigner ever to win the Open the Dreamgate Championship, the top belt in Dreamgate, and also defeated Johnny Gargano to win the Open the uh, Freedom Gate title, the top belt for Dragon Gate USA, which I remember that. He was like dual champion, which was cool. The tournament win sets up Ricochet, or as the name is spelled in New Japan, Ricochet without the T, getting his shot at the IWGP Junior title held by Kota Ibushi on the company's annual Dominion pay-per-view on June 21st from, from Osaka body maker Coliseum and what was the making of one of the best matches this year. Ricochet represented Dragon Gate in the tournament, making him only the second non-New Japan wrestler to win it with Ibushi, uh, then under contract with DDT, winning it in 2011. New Japan is looking to bring in Ricochet as a regular in the role uh, as a babyface top foreign junior heavyweight that Devitt had for many years. While uh, the crowd didn't really know Ricochet from what I was told from those there were live, it sounded good, but I was told it was a small Dragon Gate contingent and most didn't react to him. Aside from being one of the guys in the tournament the past few years, 
He is both a remarkably gifted wrestler, but also has an ability to get over. As the match went on, the usually nationalistic fans cheered him louder than both Taguchi and Kushida. The show drew 3,014 fans, which was a little shy of a sellout at the second uh, Yoyogi gym. New Japan is running uh, headlong uh, into the same problems as UFC. This was the third show in Tokyo of the past nine days, none of which sold out. Uh, for foreigners, it was the third of a scheduled uh, five I pay-per-view shows this month. In recent years, the finals have been at the smaller Cork and Hall, which they've usually sold out. It was a good show overall with only one bad match. And peaking with the last two matches, a lot of the undercard was used to build up the Dominion show. It'll be interesting product tests. They've been selling at Osaka. This was a good undercard, but it's very much lacking in the main event department with Nakamura versus Badlock Fale for the IC title on top. Even though it'd be a huge break from tradition, I would have considered going with Ibushi versus Ricochet as the main event because nobody is going to be able to follow that. And both guys have an appeal that goes well beyond great athletic performers in that they connect with younger fans. Ricochet did a post-match speech referencing Dragon Gate, saying only Pegasus and the second Black Tiger and Prince Devitt have been foreigners who have won the tournament, so his name is added to that list. He challenged Kota Ibushi to a title match, and Ibushi came out holding the title. They did a stare down. Dave rated the match four and a half. Nice. So, yeah, great matchup. Definitely another kind of recommended watch here from this 2014 Best Super Junior Finals. Yep, so next week is going to be the final um, you know, installment of the final countdown. We'll be reviewing Best of the Super Juniors 2015 through 2019. And I got to tell you, um, these matches that we're going to be reviewing are going to blow pretty much everything we've watched so far away. Um, in 2015, we got O'Reilly and Kushida. In 2016, we have Taguchi and Osprey. Uh, 2017, we had Will Osprey and Kushida. 2018 was Hiromu and Ishimori. And then 2019 is Will Osprey and Shingo. Um, you know, I don't want to give any official star ratings or reviews, but like we have by far the best week of the review series coming up next week. And uh, I can't wait to sink my teeth into it. Yeah, it's going to be a great way to end this series. Awesome. So uh, I guess the last thing to do here is the recommended match of the week, Jeremy. Yes. So for recommended match of the week. So I did watch your recommended match from last week, uh, Hogan versus Great Muta from 93. And you've actually made me watch this match before. Um, I haven't remembered a lot of the the spots uh, here. I think it might have been one of those nights where we're watching like random matches. Um, And I I watched. I don't think I've. I don't think I've ever made you guys watch this match. You sure? Because a lot of the spots seem familiar. Well, they're like very famous spots that are like maybe you, you like should, all over the. Yeah, maybe you've shown, shown us clips. Maybe I might have shown you clips, or you might have seen the clips. Like, there's literally like people on the internet that like have gifts of this stuff all the time. Like, um, a lot of the moments in that match are like very famous. That like are also parodied in by a lot of wrestlers because of how famous this match is. Yeah. But I, I feel very confident. I've never made you guys watch this match. I could be wrong, but like, I feel 99% confident. I've never, I've never made the group watch. <laughs> Can you imagine if I try to make the group watch Hogan and Muda? I don't know. For some reason, I remember like me, you and rich watching this match at some point. <sighs> I feel like if I put on Hogan Muda, you guys would all just go to sleep. So I'm pretty sure I've never done that. 
I mean, you always be busting out something. <laughs> yeah, I do, but I also, uh, I'm pretty sure I've never done that. Yeah. So, yeah, it was. But what were your thoughts on this match overall? Yeah, it was an interesting match. Um, you know, Hogan's in great shape here, and, you know, very rare. Like, Hogan's doing a lot of, like, chain wrestling, a lot of grappling. It's kind of a little bit different style than you would see in WWF or WCW. I know at the time it was kind of a, a kind of a big, you know, dream match. But overall, I thought there was a lot of, like, character work and a lot of shenanigans. There's a lot of powdering from Muda, a lot of cheating from both guys. I mean, Hogan's raking the eyes and back scratching and, yep. um, you know, Muda's. Uh, he had, pulls a hammer out at one point and it's, like, bashing Hogan with this hammer and the referee's not doing anything about it. Um, spots where they go to the outside, the, the back by drop on the ramp. Um uh, Buddha gets on that ladder, that rope ladder thing, and like dives off onto Hogan. Uh, yeah, it's pr- that's a great moment. Yeah. So yeah, overall, kind of this whole, a wild, all over the place match. Obviously, I wouldn't say you know from like a work rate, you know, high spot kind of crazy match. It wasn't that, but it was definitely a spectacle with these two big stars, IWGP champ, WWF champ, Hogan. Uh, you know, Muda had been working for WCW at that point, so you got these kind of cross promotion kind of battle here that. A dream match you don't we wouldn't think would happen, and yeah, it was cool seeing it. Yeah, the the famous moment where Muda is at the end of the ramp that's connected to the ring. He runs all the way down the ramp yeah. to the entrance, and then runs all the way back just to clothesline Hogan into the ring. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. This this match is it's very notable because. This is the match where, you know, like you mentioned, Hogan's the WF champion, but he had a, a, a clause in his contract with WWF where he could work Japan dates, even though at that time New Japan had a working relationship with WCW. And so he could kind of kind of like how, say, you know, Chris Jericho or uh, John Moxley are able to work New Japan, even though they're with AW, uh, kind of very similar to that. So at that at that current time, Hogan was on his way out from WWF and it was kind of a known thing. And he went in there as the champion and he beat Muda in a, in a champion versus champion non-title match, which was like pretty significant because new Japan was actually making a play to acquire Hogan as a regular full-time roster member. Um, you know, and Hogan, so Hogan wins, and that obviously entitles him to a future IWGP title match. I don't think he ever got that title shot because um, we kind of know how history played out. He eventually goes to WCW. But um, the, the, what's interesting is the post match interview, he cuts a promo and he basically says, <laughs> you know, um, the famous quote is he says that the WWF championship is just a trinket and a toy and that the the real title he wants is the IWGP title and that, you know, he's held the WWF title five times and it's too easy and that the, the, the title he wants is the IWGP title. Yeah. And, and then he, uh, he tells, and, he tells Vince and WWF that the tape was doctored, that they, they edited what he said. Um, well, what he said was that um, they misquoted yeah, him. Yeah, misquoted him, um, yeah. But, but there was no internet back then, so there's no way for anyone to verify. And so people were like, oh, he never said that. They just misquoted him. And it's like, he's, he, he cut the promo in English. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my 
my god so yeah it's a it's a pretty famous uh moment but yeah the match is the match is really good um it it is interesting to kind of see hogan even um not a lot but hogan bumps in that match quite a bit for muda which like hogan like never bumped for anybody you know yeah and there's time there's times where he's bumping for muda and you know doing chain wrestling uh it's one of the more cohesive matches it's two guys who um both figured out that they could get away with not having to work hard if they just relied on their character work. Right. And pretty much in this match, they, they definitely work hard. Um, but you know, most nights they didn't, (laughs) (laughs) uh, star ratings wise, where we'd go for a match like this. I don't know. It was, I don't don't know where to, where to rate that thing. It was kind of hard for me to put a, a rating on that. Because, like you mentioned, like the work rate wasn't like super high, but there's two huge stars and there's a lot of character work. The crowd is super into it. The crowd, the crowd is really into so, it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where to go on that. Oh, <laughs> have I? I pre- I've presented you a match that you don't know how to rate. Yeah. <laughs> so this is basically Money in the Bank from last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What would you rate Great this match? Um, you know, I, I I think like three and three quarters is probably pretty fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would yeah, say. I wouldn't, yeah. Go, I wouldn't go four on it. Um, I know some people that would. I wouldn't go that high. I mean, if someone went three and a half, I wouldn't fault them for that either. But I, I think it's uh, – I think it's I think it's a good, not great match, but it's a very famous, historically important match. Did you listen to it with the English commentary? Um, no, I listened to it with Japanese commentary. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, so then my recommended match of the week, it is Katsuyori Shibata versus Yuji Nagata from G1 Climax 2014. Dave Meltzer gave this match four and a half in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. They recently uploaded this match with English commentary with uh, from Kevin Kelly. It's a match freaking rules it's what you expect with shibata and nagata go watch this thing yeah i think the 2014 uh g1 is maybe the best g1 of all time i know some people like to argue the last couple years are the best and in some case in some ways they are because they peak so high but like the overall quality of g1 uh 2004 I mean, there was, like, one night where there was, like, nothing but... There was one night, because back then they used to have the G1. They'd have the A block and the B block singles matches in the same night. So you'd end up with, like, what, 10 matches straight, 10 singles matches? Yeah. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, like eight of them were, like, over four stars. Like, like almost like four and a quarter to like four and a half stars, like eight of those matches. And the ones that were that underperformed were like three and three quarters, three and a half. And they did like several nights of that back then that tournament's freaking nuts. And yeah, I've seen this match before. I haven't seen it in a long time, but like, I can't wait to watch it. I, I love the Shibata uh, Nagata series. So yeah, I'm, I'm down. Nice. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week. Next week, we'll be back for the final, final countdown segment and all this news answering your questions. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. Clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. 
So follow us at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash social suplex. Also in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, you can follow us at social suplex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy, and Josh is keeping it strong style. You can check out our Discord server, social suplex. You can email me, jeremy at social suplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Issue Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Fridays, we have Get in the Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson and Amy and Tiffany. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and review. We will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts itchy bomb thank you for listening to keeping it strong style we'll see you next time say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill